Due to a shitload of swearing and some graphic conversations, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fort Mac. here just want to apologize these last few weeks have been absolutely insane in everyone's life really and uh trying to get a podcast uploaded was turned out to be almost impossible uh between renovations at the uh dining room table studios um to so many projects that uh, a lot of us have on the go uh with the forefront being the Fort McMurray Filmmakers Association that kind of got lifted off the ground with its first meeting last week. Um, yeah, it's, it's the film projects we got, uh, ideas and the, the interplay film festival coming up. Yeah. Lots of stuff on the go, but as listeners, I know you guys are saying who the fuck cares. We just want a podcast and I'm, <laughs> and I'm going to give it to you. Um, Got one coming up here, a great podcast we did with uh, Sean McClellan a little while ago, a couple weeks ago, about the value of the arts. Uh, so this one's a really good show, guys. Um, so yeah, I just want to apologize uh, for the lateness, really lateness. Hopefully we get into back, uh, hopefully we get back into routine coming up here uh, starting now. Uh, next Tuesday we should have a good show. Uh, so much to talk about, so much to going on, uh, so much going on in Fort McMurray lately. Uh, the floods. Um, definitely want to get some people on the pod to talk about the floods and the community response. Uh, I was down in LA for E3 uh, during the whole time, so I was kind of watching it uh, through Twitter and, and Instagram and stuff, and uh, it was good to see the community come out and support like they did. Um, speaking of E3, has another podcast that's coming down the pipe soon too. Uh, really late on that one as well, but. Yeah, if you guys are following the Twitter accounts and the Facebook, uh, you've seen all the updates. I just want to get on the on the mic and actually start telling you the funny stuff that I ran into down in LA. We got Comic Con coming up. Uh, lots of cool stuff still happening on the YouTube channel, youtubecom slash podcast. Uh, check it out. New gamer guy versus gamer girl uh, online, uh, which is really cool. We got some actual uh, kids on the show. Um, to talk about uh, some stuff is really good to so go check it out and make sure you subscribe to us as well uh, and of course like us on Facebook uh, facebook.com slash YMN podcast follow us on Twitter and the biggest thing too uh, get involved with the Former Murray Filmmakers Association uh, we got a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe with that one uh, we had our like I said we had our first general interest meeting and uh, yeah a lot Good turnout, good chats, good conversation, and we got lots of projects coming down the tube on that aspect. Uh, website, 
fma.com uh twitter facebook it's all that's there uh the first event is uh, the interplay film festival for the association that's coming up all the details are on there still looking for submissions and get ready for the awesome 48 hour uh, film challenge that's starting up july 26th get your teams ready 1500 bucks is the prize for best 48 hour film and it's only a six minute film that's a good return on investment, I believe. And speaking of return on investments, uh, this week's podcast is all about the value, quote-unquote, of the arts. Um, great episode, uh, real thought-provoking, real insightful. Uh, <laughs> gets techie uh, about kind of midway there uh, within the first 45 minutes, which I'm sure some people will dig. Um, Sean and Tito Gall get to uh, start talking about cameras and all that kind of stuff, and it just was really cool to listen to. Um, but for people that aren't into that, they might kind of zone out, but trust me, it comes all full circle in the end, and uh, we start getting into some real good uh, conversation about just how much money should people get get for their art should they do art for free the definition of professional versus hobbyist uh it's it's a great show so enough talking about it let's have a listen to here is episode 74 of the ymm podcast ladies and gentlemen welcome to the ymm podcast i'm totsky i'm tito very special guest at the dining room table today who we got Sean McLennan. Hey, welcome welcome <laughs> thank you it's for having me mr ymm parody himself That's former right. marista <laughs> That must have been fun to shoot, though. It was fun. It was a lot of fun to shoot. Uh, it uh, it was about two months, three months worth of work and several shoots with a lot of people from not just Keanu College, but a bunch of people in the community as well came out to help. Yeah. So that made it uh, that made it a lot of fun, yeah. Just out of curiosity, cool. like, the two months, is that just because one thing that I find that when we're doing projects is trying to nail down schedules in this town? Scheduling, to yeah, no. Scheduling is always difficult. If you're doing... Um, I've been fortunate enough to work on a couple of paying gigs where it's like a, a commercial shoot and you're hiring models and stuff like that. And that's when people are getting paid, you dictate the scheduling. Yeah. So you gotta, yeah. You have a lot of freedom there, um, to, to make your production work. And it's a necessity to keep things on budget. But when you're working with volunteers and everybody who helped out and everybody who worked on that video, everybody volunteered, not a single person saw a penny. Um, p- pizza lunch and some t-shirts are, I think, are about the, uh, the limit of payoffs <laughs> people got. Yeah. <laughs> so it really comes down to finding the right people who are willing to participate. Cause once we, once, once we scripted out the story, like the elements that we wanted to do, and then we decided we wanted to do some of those, um, Facebook, uh, not Facebook, sorry, uh, YouTube, YouTube parodies, mm-hmm. then it was, that was a whole other level of complexity, but we, we wanted to do something different than just a regular, Parody because lots video, of people yeah. had done a lot of spoof videos, so we're, we wanted to like step it up an extra notch, mm-hmm. make a, you know, um, not to sound cheesy, but add that big spirit kind of element to it where we just go that extra step forward. Mm-hmm. But then that required a whole different subset of people that were really, we're being dictated by the script. So when we're doing Duck Dynasty spoof, we needed <laughs> somebody with a big beard. And uh, my friend Scott was uh, luckily. Like enough to be able to come out and help us with that, but that's what I mean. So then, yeah, the scheduling is literally yeah. why why it took two months. So I finally, like the if anyone hasn't seen it yet, it's on YouTube. I think yeah. it's the Keanu YouTube channel. Yeah, you go on our channel and and look it up, and you'll find it around there. So you, you you'll see it, and it's a good four or five minutes long. It's uh, five minutes thirty eight seconds, if I remember correctly. And you'll see the way he cuts it, like because and it's when we talk scheduling, like the productions we've done, maybe has a cast of five six people. And that's hard enough. Fuck yeah. you got there had to have been fifty. Um, total cast members. Oh, you're going to embarrass me because I can't remember the it's total. It's a lot. Number. You look at it, it is you know, a it's lot. A lot. Yeah, yeah. 
There's so that's uh, what we're talking about scheduling. So definitely go to YouTube and, and check that out. But it's a good, uh, you brought up pain because this yeah. is one of the uh, podcasts I've been wanting to do for a while now called, uh, I just been dubbing it the value of the arts. Yeah. And myself and Sean and, and well Tito, we got into the discussions this ages ago, especially with events with Buffalo and Dave Whitelock at one point. Uh, and uh, just recently, I know uh, me and you and Sean got obviously got into it, but uh, had friendly a discussion, dis- had friendly a discussion. discussions yeah. <laughs> uh, on Facebook about it. So I guess I don't even know how to start this conversation again. Do we start about what well, I we think said? The, the discussion started from there was some back and forth on a, on a thread in Facebook about people. Um, right, we're right. working for free. I posted the yeah. link that uh, emergency it was, Alberta wanted. Yeah, it was video. it was an Alberta uh, project uh, financed by the government um, for a safety video, but they weren't willing to hire or pay anybody. Right, they wanted to win an iPad or MacBook or something. Get an iPad or a MacBook. Get a prize, basically, yeah. Yeah. for for developing and creating commercial content for them that uh, uh, would cost a lot more money than an iPad. Or a MacBook on the yeah. flip side, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had posted um, somewhat sarcastically, but true to <laughs> my belief, um, just one of those little inspirational posters. But the message was basically, don't if you undervalue your work, nobody will value your work. So don't don't give your work away for free. And that's when we got into I, I guess the value of yeah, doing that I, kind of work. And I guess what's going to come down to this whole topic for this evening is going to be everyone's definition mm-hmm. of value. And I think that's where. <laughs> And I think that's where Roddy Are you at a Costco level or a Walmart <laughs> level where And I think that's what Roddy was trying to get across. Yeah. His, well, I guess it's all the way you present yourself. I, I didn't pick that up in that particular uh I'd, back and forth, but Yeah. Um or maybe I'm I'm, just, I'm, pre- I'm pretty thick skinned, so Well, we, we uh, I guess we can talk about beginnings and basically of like I mean, I I personally have never looked at uh, looked at it that way. Basically from my end, I've always I've always kind of seen it as a hobby that I really love, uh, making movies and photography and stuff. But then it gets to a point where, like, for me, the whole reason I even started a company was because I – not because I wanted to, because I had to. Because when I uh, did uh, Nighthawks, to get the insurance, yeah. I needed to be a company to get the yeah. insurance. So I made the company and I made the website. I was like, okay, cool. And then they gave me the insurance to do the movie. Because, you know, it's like because I invested a lot into that movie. Yep. So then after that, because of the movie I made and as well as other stuff I continue to do, people just started basically saying, how much do you want for me to do this, to do this for us? So then I was like, oh, I don't know. Well, maybe this much or maybe this much. And from that, like, then I started getting jobs doing photography and doing videography based on that. Right. So, I mean, from my end, I've never really looked at it as value and work more like. How valuable is your time is the way I've always looked at it. And that's just... It's a very famous Tito quote. <laughs> yeah. No, because that's the most valuable thing you have, right? So the thing is, you have to decide, are you... It, it, okay, if you're doing it, quote unquote, for the money to get paid as you're living, right? I mean, uh, sure, but then it becomes a job like any other. So that I think for, for me personally, that kind of... It takes the fun away from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I've turned down projects because... It just doesn't sound fun. Like, someone will say, oh, we, yeah. we need a series of this and that and the other thing. Now... But here's the difference. I don't need to take the job because I've got another job, right? So, and I think yeah. this is where, to start our little roundtable panel here, and I think that's what's going to come a real big difference maker in where we stand in our definitions is the fact of where is one's money coming from? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? If one person is absolutely relying on stuff like this for an income, they're obviously going to have a way different viewpoint, a different perspective. And I'll also than argue someone that who already has a full time job. I will also and is argue doing that this. they're 
hungrier for for to do the work and and for well define the, hungrier like well they're more willing to basically be competitive or make their product the best it can be so that they it's can, my fucking grand get away from me <laughs> well no so that they can get the work right? no I know yeah yeah and and I know uh, several uh, videographers and photographers that are amazing because they've had to compete in the market right and they got amazing oh. not because oh I'm a hobbyist and I've taken so many fr- pictures of friends they got amazing because they took all the shit jobs that no one else would and they. They have the hours. It's like the ten quote unquote buy your time. Well, it's it's the ten thousand hour rule, right? Like it's what they say about the Beatles. It's is because all of them before they even became the Beatles, they were playing instruments and singing since they were like little kids. So by the time they became the Beatles, they had all ten thousand hours under their belt of doing what they were doing. That's why the Beatles were amazing, not because they're all naturally talented, because they had put the work in. I would argue that point. Uh I I think that's that's a that's a that's a nice mathematical way to break it down. But I still think the Beatles are just – there's a magic that happened with those four individuals. Well, yeah. I, so regardless how good technically – there's a lot. Mm-hmm. I have met some r- ridiculously proficient mu- musicians mm-hmm. that are – you know, like, like if you're right into guitar playing, if you're at the, the top of that game, you'll have a list of names of, of like the top five guitarists in the world that you know of are, are literally the most accomplished players in the world. Most people have never even heard of them. Yeah, because that's what I mean. Like they're they, they have the skill, but they're yeah. not. But the show. It, it, so that's what I mean. Like, showman, they're, yeah. they're not promoted. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but I was going to get it. Weren't just good musicians. That was just that definitely helped. A and perfect time. Exactly. It's a perfect storm. That's my point. And, and, like, and, and, what, everything all together. What I was getting at with the Beatles, though, is the fact that every one of them could have been the lead of of a band. In fact, some of them were. What ha- it's basically you were saying with your guitar uh, with the guitarists. Imagine four of those guitarists made a band. Like it, that, that's the whole thing. Like that's where their strength came from is the fact that they were all individually amazing, and because they all came together, that's where that was the magic. The fact yeah. that because usually people that are that good, they don't work well with others because there's usually not an. I I I, I and I'm not trying to say ego as a bad thing. I'm saying it as the fact that like. You've worked, so you have your accomplishment and you have your laurels, and you don't have to really answer to anyone. And the fact that they were able to kind of you put that think, aside, and it happened it, towards the end, because, you know, it's cause you don't John think and Paul, Paul McCartney was telling <laughs> fucking Ringo, you shut the fuck up and drum. I will. <laughs> You're lucky you have George, a George, stop doing the coke. <laughs> You're lucky you got a job, Ringo. Just sit back there and fucking put well, on well, those skins. No, I, I, I like think he's just doing tab. It's a new drummer every day. <laughs> you fucking see him. But uh, okay, let, uh, go, going back to the to I guess what we were talking about and the fact that I I, I see uh, there's nothing wrong with seeing the value of your work and wanting to be paid for it, right? The thing is, we all start somewhere, right? And and I I think like I I agree with you that the fact that that what the what the government was offering for that was completely not worth people's time. It was basically it was for. The amateur that wanted a laptop, essentially. Right, but but yeah. uh, but much to your exact point, mm-hmm. there's many amateurs who thought it was worth their time. Yeah. And the reason I disagreed with that particular event, like that that activity, was I think that's just manipulating. It's taking advantage of of a growing sector of hobbyists to get something for dirt cheap. And I think I'm on I'm on par with that one. Uh, sorry, keep going. I just want no, that's before. Uh, that's why I had a problem with it because I was like. Man, that's so cheap, man. Like those guys would have dropped. Speaking professionally, they would have dropped twenty grand on a video like that if they had hired a production company to come in and film and done everything. It professionally, yeah. Yep. And instead, here's a oh well, we have an extra comp laptop that we got from some other project. Let's just give people a laptop or an iPad. We'll get lots of people out to 
to do that. We'll get, but again, now you're looking at your, and mm, I don't want to sound rude, but then you're, you're instead of hiring somebody, planning it, executing it and getting an excellent project from the get go, we're going to basically do a drag line. We're going to cast a net into the, and please don't shoot me for it. Mediocre pool. We're just going to throw it out there <laughs> well, and, I hope, mean- and hope we get that one person who manages to pull off magic yeah. For nothing, yeah. and be able to pay them off with a laptop. Ultimately, and you get what you pay for, though. With the, with no, stuff like that too. and sometimes you get excellent. Like like you yep. said, I have nothing against hobbies, and there's some hobbies that do work that blows my mind. And I see all the time, and but then I get frustrated because I'm like, that person should really be charging good money for that good work, but they just love doing it, so they just do it for the sake of the love of doing it. And this is where we're yeah. all, we're going to come back to this theme. Well, we are multiple and times. You, you made a good point there that kind of just it shifted my gears a little bit because one thing that I've always had a problem with, uh, and I can't remember if I divulged in the podcast, and I probably did. There's fucking too many episodes to remember now, but <laughs> the uh, by trade I am uh, an EMT. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, everyone knows what an EMT is, right? Just shy of a paramedic. And one thing that reason why that. I got out of the whole fucking industry uh, because of all the work that had to be done. and just way too lazy for that. <laughs> but, uh, no, like, it was very shit pay. And I'm talking $2,000 a month. And Totsi's got some habits that, you know, yeah. we, that's way more, costs yeah. way more than that. Um, dollar mic. dollar <laughs> mic. <laughs> but my biggest problem. How those flags? Is- I'll take three. <laughs> <laughs> but my biggest issue uh, with the EMS industry, and I think it was just emergency service industry in general, was that all these companies would get away with uh, that kind of money, like literally offering people two thousand dollars supply and demand? But what they did was they hit people out right out of school. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what's the most valuable thing to me in any pretty much any walk of life is experience. Yeah, for sure. And EMS was a real hard on that one, right? You're only good as good as your experience level is. Yeah, and that was harped upon, right? You're, you're getting harped upon that in school. So you get you're fresh out of school. You just got your your degree diploma. From and you want to do as much hours as you can. You're like, give me the hours as, for yeah. fucking free. Yeah, sure, I'll fucking don't pay me overtime. Yeah. I just want the hours. Yeah, yeah. that's and like, that's exactly. I'm talking two weeks on. You're the only car. You're in a, uh, but you're you're doing like fucking ten calls a day. Dangerous calls. And it's fucking two thousand bucks a month. Yeah. So as soon as you said, I forget what you, I forget how you did it, but you did it. Good job. You changed my <laughs> line of things. I'm like, that's what you just said. That the way, uh, the, in this case, the province of Alberta did with their contest mm-hmm. was exactly what these companies were doing. That I fucking hated mm-hmm. as an EMT coming out of school. Everyone does that. That's business, though. That's supply and demand. Is, is it? It is. It's totally supply and demand because EMT is a popular profession. You're right. Yeah, and they'll it is. There's, there's, yeah. yeah, there's lots of people that want to be EMTs. There's lots of people that want, and I, and 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 I'm not uh, talking down being EMT, but I know there's a lot of people that I know that chose EMT because yeah, yeah. they didn't think they be- could become doctors or nurses. They didn't think they could do the four four years, seven years of school. Yeah. But they still they like that that Medical that side. industry. Yeah. yeah. And therefore, they went after EMT as a pro. So there's lots. Yeah. You have lots of graduates, and like you say, hungry graduates who need the experience. Because let's face it's it, better themselves. Because because you're talking emergency services. You need to not just know the different elements of the job. You have to be able to react in a pressure situation, in a dangerous situation. So in a job like that, experience is paramount. Yeah. And you're going to be hungry for that experience. And therefore, these people. Every spirit they hire is a cost center. Every person they hire. Yeah. So if they if they have a huge supply of people as EMTs and yeah. they can do high oh, turnover. If you don't think two thousand dollars a month, I'm sure or two thousand bucks a month is enough. Then I'm sure Johnny exactly. Fresh Grad will, will exactly. really jump on. Yeah, it, right? yeah. 
and uh, I guess what I was going to get on that same note is just the fact that, like, it's interesting to see the fact that, like, yeah, everyone that comes out of school is going to get, you know, uh, uh, I guess taken advantage of, or the uh, taken advantage. And, and, and you know, it, it, I, I guess, yeah. Let's not beat around the bush. If you're a fresh out of school or starting into any professional, any profession, you need the experience because that's what people want, right? And that's yeah. what you what you need to get good. And people shouldn't necessarily see it as an entirely a bad thing because the experience is only going to serve you to get better at what you want to do, right? Now, what I think the only thing that the only thing that I've always had a problem with is those that say that. Um, being a professional means you're getting paid as opposed to uh, what's it called um, uh, still being a professional and not getting paid for, for the work. Now, just because you're not getting paid doesn't necessarily mean you're on a professional standard because I'll give, I'll give a good argument. We'll, we'll, let's say, say, for example, someone funds a movie and they pay professional actors to come in. They're not making money. So they're doing the – it's their own project they want to do. Yep. And they're paying professional actors to come in out of their own pocket. So the actors are professionals, but the person running the show isn't. You know what I mean? It's almost like an oxymoron. Well, any, anybody can hire actors, though. It doesn't mean yeah. you're a professional filmmaker. But does does that make that the actors professional just because they're being paid? I didn't mention the, the oh, amount of experience that the actors had. That the actors are being paid. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, oh. I see where you're going with that. I'll yeah. I'll, uh, I'll I'll be the devil's advocate <laughs> and throw a little bone in, mm-hmm. though. Uh, according to Revenue Canada, you. Can't call yourself a professional unless at least thirty percent of your income comes from said profession. Yep. So that's in a way for I did not know that. Yeah, for applying. Yep. So I I I was quite happy the first year I filed income tax and I could actually write photographer as <laughs> as my profession because I started out as a lot of people as a hobbyist and going from there exactly like you're yep. saying and then my work progressed and people were like you're really good we'd like to hire you for this and yep. so on and so forth and progressed to the point when I was all right I'm doing this full time now as a career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, see, does somebody who, who works as a power engineer but is an avid painter and paints every day at home, can they call themselves a painter? Of course they can because mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. But is that right. their job? But does that make them a good painter? It makes them a great painter. Does it make them a professional painter? No, because it's not their profession. Right. Well, so, so hold on. Like, My, the only, and, and what you're saying, though, is does it make them a good thing? Oh, I, I'm just making good. Like You might think this poster is shit, but some people might think it's it fucking is gold. Shit. What is that? I don't even it's know what that's the fifth element. One, two, three, four, what? five. What? Yeah. That's that's my second favorite movie of all time. I think it's called a shit. And I've never seen that poster. <laughs> I'm happy because it's a shit poster. But um, uh, all I'm getting at oh, is... Oh, now I just want to rip this apart. So, <laughs> it's with the flamey bit there, but there's no... Because the five... They want right, to the bring it to So they only put one fucking element on it? That's kind of yeah. ridiculous. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Bad design. It was love. <laughs> That per- that graphic designer wasn't a professional. <laughs> got no, him he right probably out, was actually. Got him right out of school. You know, that was- and here, here's here, and and le- le- moving to my second part part of this argument. Once you become a professional, once you get like, there's people that they you know they love what they do, right? But when it becomes what you do for a living, there's a shift in mindset for some people. That's true. And doing something day in and day out makes Jeez. those posters. <laughs> I oh, guarantee that's, you, that's the guy, totally the guy who commissioned that was someone who was, he's been designing posters for so long that he's like, uh, radio oh, shit, blur, deadline. directional blur, put some fire, no, no, no. <laughs> space there's, background. Uh, there's, uh, 
I really want to know the story That'd behind be this. $25,000, please. <laughs> I want to know. Okay, that's what I was going to say because I was going to say I, I have the theatrical poster. Yeah, it's just I've a I've never poster. seen that piece of shit. <laughs> why you have that hanging in your kitchen is just mind boggling. <laughs> For this moment, Sean. <laughs> this up. was sick. You go man, down. Now. <laughs> man. Have you seen. Have I you put seen this the, up two years ago hoping that you'd come to the podcast. Yeah. Like, I will make the air. Have you seen the teaser poster? One of my favorite posters of all time is the teaser poster for The Majestic. Have you ever you remember the Majestic, know, Majestic. Yep, yep, movie? Yep. That wasn't very good, but but Bruce Campbell was in it in that yep. fake shitty movie, which was awesome. Um the teaser poster for the Majestic is is designed like a nineteen forties poster. Uh, they, they did like the excellent. painted drawing yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks so kick ass. But yeah, I mean I still like the Truman Show poster. Which one's that one? Where it had like all the images from the movie, like in in a like in the face of Jim Carrey. Oh, okay. Like, you know, was that a like, teaser oh, poster? Yeah. I believe it was a teaser oh, poster. Wow, I've never seen that way before so, the movie came out. But yeah, that's what this is. Sometimes what happens when someone gets someone gets into because I, I guarantee you. Okay, oh, I can't guarantee because I, I, I don't know the person. That, I call that a uh, marketing decision. Is what I call that. That's when it's possible. Some, but someone somebody, had to design somebody that. has a need. No, somebody has a need. They have a short turnaround. They're like, do this. And the designer goes, well, I don't think that's, I don't give a fuck. Do it. We need something for Monday. Right. And that's how shit like that gets churned out because some, anybody who does actual design. You really have a problem with that. I don't mind that. It's not that bad. It doesn't fucking tell you anything at all. Something with the the five in it. But does that that not make you want to see it? (laughs) See what? (laughs) Whatever it must be found. (laughs) Photoshop the movie. (laughs) So, <laughs> so uh, after effects but, coming but, this May 1997. This is the this becomes the problem with quote unquote professionalism because professionalism doesn't necessarily mean a good product. It just means someone that's living off of it. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, I'm not arguing that statement at all. Uh, I, and and what's awesome though, what I love about the age we live in now, the internet is a growing. Uh, industry now, and and we'll, uh, I'll give you a good example. The guys from Mondo, uh, they yeah, yeah. they designed. They used to do it for free. They did these free posters for the uh, Alamo Draft House for screenings yeah. of movies, yeah. and people love those posters so much that they started a business out of it. Yeah. yeah. So there they, you go, right? Like I mean, killing out of it too. Oh, I'm yeah. hoping that the quality doesn't go down now because now they're going to be commissioned to do work. Well, that, it's not the commission work because the commission work always is going to have um, mm-hmm. the effort put behind the request. Mm-hmm. It's it's pumping out the shit to fill the demand. Yeah, is where you run the problem. So now that they're popular, now that their website is getting a million views a month, now the, de- the demand is like, well, there's lots of people viewing it, but they're not finding the piece they want. We need to get more pieces on there. I'm so pissed off and about the Evil Dead Two one. To, yeah, yeah, just turn it, just turn it, get more go, stuff go, go. there. So we, this is how fucking sequel. What is that? You're flaming yeah, the five exactly oh, oh, you right. Yeah. That's the, the law of diminishing returns with sequels. It's like, exactly it, it. It's so, and and that's that's the whole threequel uh, curse in Hollywood right now. Like trilogies, uh, historically don't do well. Mm. Uh, I think there's, I mean, Post-written Lord, Lord trilogies. of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, yeah. But that was designed as, but a even, trilogy. but even uh, financially too. Like, they, like there's, it's like, well, Return of the King raise, won the Oscar. raise, crash. But what? I mean, Return of the King won the Oscar. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I'm talking about diminishing financially for but studios. Think of it, right? if you're in the industry, would you have given them one on the second movie? Thought, Fuck no, because they're coming out with the third. Yeah. Like, oh, just wait. The, yeah, because oh. it's a whole story. I was going to say yes, because the Towers was the best, grand, but I know this, what you mean. This grand yeah. masterpiece deserves well, an Oscar, done, yeah. but they're going to give it to Return the Return of the King third, won the Oscar, but yeah. that Oscar was for Lord of the Rings. Exactly, that's Straight, my point. Yeah. yeah. But no, I know what you mean. Like, Godfather me, but, 3 is such a, a good example of 
like how sequels ruin shit sometimes. Yeah, because they were post Back to the Future. Um, I would argue. Do we, we want to go down? Do who, who fucking posted that picture with all the trilogies and it had the little temperature? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, that one. I wish we had that sitting in front of us because I'm sure you can bring it well, up. there was two on there. I Tyler, Tyler said with. that the scale, he really didn't like the scaling yeah. of them because some of them were really high. And then when you compare it to other trilogies, you're like, wait a minute, this, this yeah. movie series is better than that movie series. Oh, it was like right? Jurassic so, Park. The first Jurassic yeah. Park was like a 60%. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That movie was amazing. I, I don't know. It, it was a game changer. I will like make that. one, Completely one bad note about Jurassic Park that really bothered me about that movie. It doesn't really get an ending. Like, they escape the island, but there's no real resolution to what happens. I, I, yeah, like, but you're following the times of the characters. You don't give a fuck about the dinosaurs. No, I know, but it just they, they leave the island and they're like, everything's okay now. I'm like, no, it's not. There's an island full of dinosaurs. No, Someone needs to deal yeah. with that shit. So <laughs> I just it, it just felt like they the, even even the characters don't even get a proper conclusion because they're just sitting in the helicopter and they're like, no, you're right. Survived. That 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 ending in the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the big payoff. It's like, oh, we survived and we made it off the island. But even yeah. then. In that last shot, and they were they're zooming in, they're coming in on Sam Neill, mm. and you just get that sense Looking that, at that bird. you're Looking. waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for that. It little, felt a little abrupt, and then it just kind of dropped. Yeah, and that was now. The now I, I know what the moment was. The moment was his girl sees him, and the kids are, you know, like they're yeah. cuddling to him because yeah. they've been through shit with him, and she's like, "Oh, you hated kids, and now you like them. now you so, like yeah. kids, yeah." Well, I thought figuring more it was the the pterodactyl that was flying next to him. It's just like, <laughs> hey, did anyone see the boy in the chopper? What happened and you're to the mainland USA? <laughs> How close is someone is this not paying attention? <laughs> flying to that thing. I'm trying to I'm trying to bring it up right now. Uh, what I did want to do at the start, which we're already fucking like half hour into the show, I want background, Sean. Give yeah. the give the crowd the the our massive amounts of listeners uh, <laughs> some background on you, just so. Uh, they know me and Tito. They know our film background and arts backgrounds. Um, What's yours? Okay. Uh, like, how far, like, how detailed do you want this? Well, no, just like. Uh, as detailed like as you where, want Where to I be. went to primary school? Well, no, like, no I'm, I'm reborn. And, yeah. Like, no, I'm just saying, like, you sit there and say the difference between professionalism and, yeah. and like, you know what I mean? Give pe- a person this. Okay, like, so is I. This guy, is this guy a power engineer yeah. that paints in his house that no. thinks he can do a better fucking poster than. <laughs> I'm sure there's a power engineer that can make a better fucking poster than that. <laughs> I've made better posters than that. <laughs> I got throw shit on the wall and it'd be that person that. That's pretty bad, hey. Well, you know what I mean? Let's so let's go um, back to high yeah, school. This is your life. So um I uh I got a camera when I was twelve years old from my grandmother as a as a present. And uh and ever, ever since I was a kid I love looking at the world through the viewfinder. And and I really associated that with with uh television and movies at the time because I always felt television and movies always felt fake to me. Because the perspective you get never quite matches what you see in the world. And it really isn't until the, the mid eighties when, you know, we started to get super panoramic, uh, images and we're going up to like two, three, five to one ratio movies. And now all of a sudden you had all encompassing views that really started to suck you in a lot better. But when I was younger, I had a little black and white crappy little shitty TV. And so everything just felt like it was this distortion. So when I walked around with a little camera, it felt like I was making my own movies just looking through it. So oh, that's cool. what that's what drew me into um, photography to begin with. I, my parents and my grandmother would not buy me enough film for all the useless shit I would <laughs> photograph walking around the, the neighborhood. But I'd still carry the camera around. And I was kind of like – I was always the one at like bush parties like uh, with a bunch of teenage friends. Somebody has a camera. I would be the one to grab the camera and take photos. So, 
But, Leads uh, that picture, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my girlfriend. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, um, just try to get some, man. Why are you I, back on the I camera? Took, I took advertising in college in, uh, in Algonquin college in Ottawa okay. and it was a, uh, it was for a creative project there. I basically, I hadn't really touched a camera in like eight years um, before that. Well, no, that's gotta be an exaggeration four or five years before that. And uh, one of the projects that we had, I really visualized, we had to come up with our own graphics, whatever we wanted to pick. Mm-hmm. And the visual I had really required a photograph and uh, Algonquin college had a media lab and a media department. You could rent, sign out cameras for free if you're a student. Oh, so wow. I signed out a uh, Canon A1 fully manual, uh, camera, but it had a built-in meter, and nice. uh, and uh, and photograph my project, and uh, and loved it, and you know wanted to start taking photographs again, and that kind of went back and forth. Um, I had a bunch of different careers, worked in marketing and stuff like that, and then I ended up working for a high-tech company in Ottawa called Corel. It makes Corel Draw, Corel Photo Paint, a bunch of stuff like that, and the Corel Center. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not called that Literally anymore. Literally made, but no, it's not it anymore, was a but at, Yeah, yeah, 94. Okay, I remember Corel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're still around. They're still kicking. They still make Corel Draw, um, which I still prefer over uh, the Adobe equivalent. Really? Which I shall not name. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, but anyway, so when I was working there, um, I had gotten back into photography. I was shooting 35 millimeter, but it, purely as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And uh, I shot some uh, band promo pictures, stuff like that. Uh, the odd wedding, uh, and, uh, I shot a lot of event work actually at the time, like the Hope Beach volleyball tournament, stuff like that. And I find doing event work really, really, like you say, the 10,000 hours is like the 10,000 frames of film. Mm-hmm. When you shoot events, you shoot a lot. And, uh, and back then on film, that's expensive. I was going to say, so did, you you scan, be, did you scan to digital yeah, or did you do no, it? No, I scanned to digital. Thank God, that, eh? That was a great thing, yeah. <laughs> Corel used to have this fantastic uh, drum scanner that was worth like ninety grand, and I got the the guy who operated it to scan some of my uh, mm-hmm. some of my medium format stuff. It was awesome. There it is. There's yeah, that fucking graphic. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I kind of did that back and forth, and then uh, Corel went through a lot of uh, a lot of changes and a lot of layoffs, and uh, I was uh, a little embittered. Um, oh, you got laid off my job. Yeah, I got get out of here, hobbyist. <laughs> yeah, with about, with about eight hundred other people. Well, you decided to uh, find the element posting the fuck out of yeah. here. <laughs> and then I decided I didn't really want to work for anyone else um, anymore because I just didn't like having my life. And so it's usually how it happens too, eh? And then I just started doing my photography as a business. Um, and it was more of a so 50, in Ottawa, 50. Like- no, this would be in uh, the Quinty region. Oh, okay. yeah. So in between uh, Toronto and Ottawa, there's a whole corridor, the 401 corridor. Yeah. Basically up and down there. Um, okay. So you're saying 50, 50? Yeah. So at the very beginning, I was working for General Mills Foods and mm-hmm. Black Diamond Cheese, uh, doing some factory jobs and doing my work on the side. And then after... Did you put the magic in the cereal? No, we, <laughs> we didn't make cereal. We didn't make cereal. <laughs> oh, there's some yeah. magic in there already. It needs more leprechauns. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, nothing, of the, nothing of the sort. And then, uh, funny enough, working at General Mills, the factory got shut down and we all got laid oh, off. Shit. And that's Fuck. when I, that's when I decided I'm just done. Like, it, cause you never want to let go of that paycheck. Yeah. Like, especially when you're starting out, when you're making that transition, you it's never, you, it's scary to leave that paycheck behind and the, the benefits and everything. Yeah. Leave and, the comfort. Yeah. Leave the comfort behind. Even right? if, even if it is a shitty job, even if you're not entirely happy to leave that, like you say, that, that comfort is hard. But then once, I got laid off there. I was like, fuck this. I don't care if I'm penniless. Um, I'm going to just do this because it's what I love. And I did that for uh, about five years before I came out to Fort McMurray, which was five years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, I was doing that business uh, for, for about five years when I saw uh, one of my friends sent me a job posting as a photographer in uh, Keanu College 
in Fort McMurray. And uh, my stepmother worked in Fort McMurray in the 60s and raved about the community and, and how awesome oh, wow. the people were here. Because uh, I asked hey, her, Hey, that's awesome. Here. That's yeah, a really yeah, nice hey, little yeah, note. Yeah. It's true. And uh, she said she loved it up here. She goes, it's cold in the winters and stuff like that, but it's a really good community and people are always really friendly up here. And uh, and Russell Thomas flew me up here for a job interview. After my first phone interview, they flew me up here for a job interview and he toured the city with me and he showed me the, the whole place in Keanu College. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like Keanu it. Keanu reached out that, like, no did. offense, yeah. but they reached out that yeah. far for a photographer. Well, wow. no, they, they, it was a job posting and I applied. They had, I don't know if they had a local person apply. I do know there's four of us that applied that were interviewed for the job. I interviewed twice online, um, like uh, over the phone. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Russell never told me whether or not he had to fly anybody else out. I think he told me he flew one other person out. Wow. Um, but they flew me and this other person. That's and cool, man. They, yeah. And then uh, offered yeah. me the job. And I, I decided, okay, maybe I'll work for someone else again because I'd been doing a lot of sports and I like shooting at the high school level and the junior level. And then it was like college and I love hockey. And I was like, great, I get to shoot fucking college hockey. That's one step from the NHL. And it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, yeah. Cause I shoot a little bit. Of, I shoot a lot of different things. I really specialize in portraits and kind of commercial stuff, but I love sports. And it's not work. Like I would do, I would shoot sporting tournaments that last Well, because you're enjoying the event. Yeah. Right? Like I'm, I'm doing 18 hours in a rink and I loved it. Yeah. So I was like, you know, one step away from the NHL, it's awesome. So then I come here and I, I don't know why I never even asked, but I got here. It's like, what? They don't have a hockey team? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? And now yeah. it's like, I already moved here. And I was like, no. <laughs> and there's no women, but, uh, I got over that. I got over that. I stayed. So then, yeah. So then I've been here for five years now. That's cool, man. I figured you were working the women hub of this town. Uh, the college is a, a good landscape for that, yes, but the age bracket's a lot different. Yeah, I than suppose. Mine. Okay, good point there. <laughs> Just hide behind my camera <laughs> <laughs> through the lens. <laughs> All right, no. that's going to be your podcast, John. Through the lens, John. <laughs> <laughs> really, I was thinking the fucking shitty fifth album yeah, poster. It, it's, it's interesting because like I started, I started getting into photography and video right when the trend, the big, the big push in Hollywood was happening from shooting from film to to digital, yeah. right? So like the the A one, uh, the the only exposure I ever had to it was um, a girlfriend's dad had an A one and he lent it to me. And I'm like, this is so awesome, right? Yeah. And but then by at that point they were you know Canon and Nikon were already moving over to the digital format. More so, right? I've always wanted to shoot uh, to shoot with a medium format camera, though. I love shooting medium format. Yeah, I sh- just looking at their prices, I'm like, oh uh, my god! You start shoot, you start shooting with 35 millimeter, and and it's it's very run and gun. It's very small, it's very portable, and you're just you're kind of mm-hmm. clicking. You have 36 exposures yeah. there. You pound them away. Medium format's a big, heavy motherfucking dumbbell of a camera. Yep, everything's bigger and more expensive on it, and it's built like a tank. But you still are careful with it. Like it's you're just a bit more cautious with it. And usually you're stuck with 10 frames. So it's like everything suddenly slows down a bit and you, you take a bit more time when you're setting up the shots and you work with the model and you're just not firing it off. And I love the temp. Like I used to shoot the first thing I started shooting somewhat professionally is fashion. Mm-hmm. I would shoot for uh, some um, fashion designers just starting out and stuff yep. like that. And I love shooting fashion on medium format um, uh, transparency. So slides. Yeah. Uh, it's just the best thing ever to shoot on. And yeah. uh, I kind of missed that. I'll tell you, when I knew, um, I worked at Corel, and like I said, we had this film scanner. It was like $75,000 um, Heidelberg. I think it was a Heidelberg film scanner. Huge scanner. It's like beer fridge. Huge <laughs> beer. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, we had a photographer at uh, that made stock images for our CDs that we gave out with our products. And so he had a Hasselblad. 
And then phase one came out with the digital camera back. And I think the first digital camera back was only 18 or 20 megapixels. Oh, but wow. this is medium format. But at the time, back, right? yeah. yeah. And it was $35,000. And they were like, oh, I don't know if it's worth spending 35 grand. Yeah. So he took a test shoot of uh, just one of our um, Vodafone uh, like uh, office phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he shot it on the tripod and everything with the film back. Um, low grain film, well lit and everything. Then slapped on the back and then he scanned the film the transparency with that $85,000 scanner and then we brought up both files in Photoshop sorry PhotoPaint Corel PhotoPaint <laughs> we pulled up both files this is going to be uh, a beat yeah we, pu- we pulled up both files on the software and zoomed in and this $25,000 back like film doesn't have any resolution right really mm-hmm. it's, it's the grain is where it's your whatever you point is as. but really you can shoot ridiculous you can get so much detail out of film but even with this $85,000 scanner once we got this monstrous file loaded into the software it was a quarter of the resolution that we had with this digital camera back yeah. and the big but the selling point was when we did the shoot after we he he got to keep it for two weeks, and and uh, I'm embarrassed to say I used to model for some of these shots because <laughs> um, it was all people who worked there who would volunteer yeah. to model, right? Yeah. And I went to one of the shoots, and it was he had the laptop. Well, it wasn't a laptop; it was a monitor and a big tower. But he had it on a push cart. <laughs> it's so portable. No, but it's serious. But the biggest thing was he would snap the picture, and it would take about a second to load, and then after a second later, progressively down yeah. the monitor, bang! There's the image, and that just the immediacy of seeing what you yeah. shot. I was like, "Holy fuck! This is going to change the world." Yeah, and, and it, it did. It took it took about four years after that till DSLRs really came out. Yeah, uh, Canon 10D was just like broke all sorts of records and mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And that's when I bought in. Basically, I got in in 2003, late 2003, is when I decided to buy digital. And I actually sold. I shot on Pentax and I sold all my Pentax gear and bought all Canon gear. Yeah, when uh, when we, uh, when I started making movies, it was like, uh, what was it the uh, the what was it the Canon XL one? Yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. the little white guy, the yeah. white guy with the wait. yeah, Beamish yeah. has one of those. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, God, we we shot so much stuff with that. With uh, my buddy Tyler had it, and so he would shoot all the movies that we did, and you know, it's like, oh, it's so it looks so amazing. It looks yeah. almost like film, but like you look at that yeah. and what you're shooting on Today, now, and yeah. you're just like. I can't believe we shot him. <laughs> and like, just listen to you guys talk. Like, what to- what are we talking as a year difference? Like, what year were you? Just- less less than five years. That's the thing. Nin- yeah, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. I think is that's when not we're that long that ago. Course. Like, no, that's not. and that's what I find so fucking. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, right? and it's interesting because you look at DSLR filmmaking, and this is just an in between step right now. Like, uh, and and I kind of I hate myself, but I also love the hobby in that I'm buying all the accessories and gears and all that shit. But I know, I know, it's gonna be. In less than five years from now, it you know Obsolete the, the standard is going to change completely, and what we're shooting with DSLRs and separate uh, separate audio recorders is going to be in some new yeah. magical device. Even the red <laughs> is kind of already there, right? And uh, but the the price range, right, right, for the red is exactly like you were saying with your mm-hmm. with your, uh, your digital with the medium medium format uh, digital backs, like they were so expensive back then, and now it for under two hundred dollars you have that you have an yeah. eighteen megapixel sensor. That can take photos, right? Yeah. So, yeah. The Black Magic. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> okay. You went down. You speak. You're you have the 4K, right? No, I have the original one. I have the 2.5K. Oh, okay. Okay. That's, yeah. 
The one that... Oh, they, right, right. I posted yeah, on your wall, right. like, just... They announced it, like, a week after you got it. Yeah, where you like, oh, fuck. Fucking day after I got it. Yeah. <laughs> what so, did they give it to so me? So just so everybody... Just <laughs> nice so everybody, shirt, by the way. Thank you. Bill fucking Murray. So yeah. just so everybody's... I'm taking my shirt off. It's serious. <laughs> we yeah. saw a little model, and he's going back to his yeah. olden days now. <laughs> so, uh... So Blackmagic announced a Blackmagic cinema camera last year at uh, NAB, National Association of Broadcasters Trade Show, in 2012, and it blew the socks off everybody, mainly because it shot um, over 2K, so uh, higher than HD, yep. and it shot raw. And it's the one thing that really red and, uh, and well, basically red was the only one to shoot raw, yep. and then Sony and, and Aerie shot uh, log. Yep. Um, the was, NEX uh, shoots a log? No. No? Okay. No, the F3 and the F, uh, okay. the F3, okay, yeah. yeah. And, um, and the F55. Both shoot, uh, Sony log, S log. Yeah. So, so for those that aren't aware about what raw is, it's the same as, uh, if you guys know photography, it's kind of the same concept is instead of just taking the regular image, which is exposed to certain levels, you've got your white balance at certain levels. Raw allows for a lot more flex. The color, the colors especially, right? So it's essentially, if, say, for example, you shoot something and you got blue light and it's complete, your white balance is completely off. If you've shot in raw, both for photography and for video, that can be fixed like that because the, the, the dynamic range of the colors, it's all there. It's like an entire spectrum, right? Mm. Well, uh, basically all the information that's recorded by the sensor is maintained. So JPEG is a really shitty format. But it's a very open format. Mm-hmm. So everything from your web browser, your iPhone, your Android everything. phone, whatever, everything can read a JPEG. So if you're outputting JPEG, what the camera does is it takes in all this high-end information, all these settings that you've applied to it, and it bakes it into the file. It renders out the file to a JPEG. And then once you've created that JPEG, all it is is a JPEG. You can't really do too much with it. You're going to the lowest common denominator at that point for distribution. With RAW, you have a lot higher information setting a lot more, sorry, information gathered, um, but you also maintain some of that information that isn't necessarily baked, like white balance, like mm-hmm. you're saying, so you can adjust your white balance and stuff on the fly. And video is like, to do raw on video was insane because of the data rates. And yep. uh, even as low as like three years ago, you just could not push enough data. There's no memory stick or compact flash card that could handle the volume yep. to do raw video. And now with SSD hard drives, um, the performances of flash memory on SSDs has gotten so high that yeah. Blackmagic, which is a company that has specialized in working with SSDs, figured it out that they could manage it. Um, yeah, so that's essentially camera. what the black, the big draw of the Blackmagic is. Uh, you instead of having cards to put into your camera, you're just putting you're putting a solid state Hard drive. Dead. You pull it out when you're done, and you put it into your computer. Yeah. You're working off of that. Mm. Yeah, so it's 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 sweet. It's just. It, it, again, it's like a technology that's growing right now, right? So, I mean, just like you said, you got the 2.5. It's at, it's at a renaissance yeah. at this point. The, the, basically, 2K has been around for a while now. I mean, when HD came out, everybody had 720p monitors. 1080 were already on the cusp, but they weren't out. Now it's 1080s everything, which is essentially 2K, um, except for a very small difference. But it's essentially 2K is, uh, is full HD. And the next iteration has been talked about a lot that is going to be 4K. Yeah. And so that's kind so of where the industry is like going. 4K? Four, 4K is basically 4,000. So 2K refers to the horizontal uh, resolution. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a, a regular HD image is 1920 pixels wide by 1080 pixels high. Mm. Um, so uh, 2K is slightly more than that. It's like 2046 by whatever. Just that much. Essentially, yeah. Just that, that much li- more. If you were shooting on 2K, you had that, that little bit of flex with your image yeah. where you could maybe... 
modify it a bit, and you could still yeah. and you in the and you could export it as the quote unquote JPEG standard for video now, which is 1080p, yeah. right? Usually encoded on H.264 or mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. move for right? distribution. Yeah, yeah. So, so 4K, 4K is double that. It's 4,096 pixels wide by I don't remember the the height. Yeah, I don't know the exact. It's, it's literally but. double. But essentially, all Jesus, it really it's is got to eat up a lot of fucking. It's humongous amount of data, and when you think about it, right now. Right now, the the highest, best quality um, screen projectors you see in digital cinema is 2K. There's no digital cinema that right now in North America that's projected so five, 4K. So 4K is one of those things that we're just not there yet. No, nowhere near there it's, yet. It's like it's like. So uh, why would Blackmagic pump out a camera then? But here's the thing. So when when you go to NAB, um, everybody there, which is a lot more broadcasting than say Hollywood filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of that there too, but it's really broadcast. And everybody there, from the people selling the satellite dishes for broadcast towers to some crap I just don't understand where it fits into the whole, <laughs> like really some weird technical pieces that sell for millions of dollars to NBC and Fox and stuff like that. And they're all updating all their hardware for 4K. So the, the industry is kind of all decide, yeah, all right, this is the next evolution where we're going to, the next step. but we're not there yet. We're going to be there. I don't think you're going to get 4K broadcast to your house for at least four years. I don't. I think you're going to see it in a movie theater first. But even that's a year, year well, and a half it's away. It's first come the TVs. So in other words, as soon as the television standard for what you're watching changes from... So say, for example, you got your Blu-ray player that plays 1080p, but then you buy the new 4K television, right? So suddenly yeah. it's going to be the whole DVD versus the 1080p screen thing again. Yeah. But don't you think that's a dying... Like, uh, TV's a dying... Not at all. No? No, no. The, no the, they're going through a renaissance. Don't right think of now. it as television. Think of it as, I'm talking about your, the, your unit, physical okay, television the unit set. itself. Yeah. Okay, the resolution you. on the television All right, set, gotcha, right? gotcha, gotcha. Because yeah. it's just like now, like right now, even right now, there's monitor, a lot. There's a fucking a, monitor. Yeah, basically. Much. Yeah. Because even right now, a lot of broadcast stations that broadcast HD still format their content for SD. Yeah. Because there's still so many TVs out there that are SD. So even to, to this point, we don't, we're not at that point yet. Yeah. But... Four years from now, we'll definitely be at that point. So that's why I'm, I'm, I wasn't gung ho about the 4K. So, so anyway, so then a year, I ordered the camera. It was supposed to ship in July. They had a manufacturing defect from the person that they bought sensors from that took a little while to troubleshoot and find the source of the problem, then correct the problem, then QA again, make sure it's cleared. So long story short, by the time they got that done, it was like Christmas. Mm. So basically in January, they just started ramping up production to actually ship the camera. I went to NAB this year, NAB 2013. The day I left on the plane, I got the call from Vistec Toronto, which is where I ordered mine. And they said, you have your camera here. Do you want it? Yes or no? You have to tell us now because they have so many people in line for it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> you just hear a crack yeah. I was just like, can I, can I wait till Monday? Because I want to know what they announced because they might announce a new camera. And they're like, you got to yes tell or no? us now. <laughs> And yeah, based, that was literally wow. it. They probably yeah. knew it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah they knew the 4K. Yeah, they might have. But, uh, <laughs> I'm not getting stuck with this 2.5K yeah. shit. But in the end, it's just everything I'd seen. I just love the output of that camera so much that I was like, no, I want that camera. Yeah. And and so I ordered it and I got it and it was waiting for me when I came back from NAB. Yeah. And then at NAB, they announced the 4K. Yeah. The big thing for me with the 4K is it has a global shutter, which is a huge difference mm-hmm. if you shoot VFX or fast moving objects. Like there's no rolling shutter. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's just that's tech, always just been techie the challenge shit I'm DSLR talking about stuff. here, but but well, it's always been the challenge of DSLRs, yeah, right? Yeah. Like whenever you're moving your camera, any CMOS the, sensor, yeah. it's a, it's an issue with CMOS sensors. Mm-hmm. So um, essentially, uh, with uh, if you're shooting 4K, which is what the red shoots in and all that fun stuff, is you just have the flexibility. That's all it is. I'll, I'll, Welcome to tech. Cast. No, no, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to explain to you. I know. I'm just kidding. Essentially, all it comes down to is 
you have the flexibility to play with your image, yeah. right? And I've heard uh, DSLR and and even guys that still shoot on on like tape format, right? They'll say, well, if you know what you're shooting, you don't need 4K. Now, that's basically a, a, a kind of way of saying, a roundabout way of saying, I don't want to spend the money to get it. Right? Yeah, they're <laughs> so, also completely they're full right. of shit, though. No, but because, they're half right. No, because even their clients are going to change their demands. You're right. Walk into anywhere right now and tell them you've already produced a commercial for Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Here it is on Beta SP. Yeah. Well, Beta SP, you might still be able to get fines. But I mean, yeah, yeah. technically, even the, on both ends, the technology changes. So once your clients have all upgraded, you're, you can't give them your old eight millimeters. You're, you're, compl- you're completely right. Except for the fact that what, what I, what I just mentioned was the guys I'm talking to are filmmakers. They, they don't care about clients. They're basically talking about them shooting a narrative in terms of stuff. But that being said, whatever they're shooting, Eventually, the standards are going to change, and you know your movie's going to look like this. But right? it, but again, so. it, that, that's what I mean, though. That yep. still comes back to the same thing, though. Especially with filmmaking, is what are you making the film for? For people yeah. to watch it, I yeah. would hope. So if you're making, <laughs> no, some people yeah, don't. Yeah. Some some filmmakers are quite honest. Was, uh, say, I Prince, make movies for myself. Prince uh, Prince does that. He yeah. uh, he he paid well, Kevin Smith to shoot a music yeah. video for him that he never well, released. I'm not, like, yeah. I'm not far off from that mentality at all. From which mentality? Like, don't get me wrong. You do like, it for uh, yourself. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy people watch the movie, and I think it's great that people watch it. But I like doing a story. Well, it can it be up, both, and then watching it come to it life. It can be both. But if you're yeah. gonna, don't get me wrong. Like, I'll always like whatever we do. I'll always make sure it gets released. It needs to be seen. No, no, yeah, exactly. I will never fucking do something and put <laughs> yeah. it to a fault and just be like, uh. <laughs> no, or you might, but whatever. Uh, what I was gonna get at though is this is where we come back to the beauty of film. Film technically is quote-unquote eternal in the sense that even though right now, you know the Disney Vault is a real thing, hey? Because film degrades, right? So they need to keep it stored. So uh, uh, just to give you an example, Nighthawks, I could, uh, once 4K format comes out, I could get it reprocessed and we could release it in 4K for whatever reason. The shot right? on film? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So 35. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. So, I mean. 35. Yeah. Nighthawks, the 4K sort of release. Uh, total budget for the project was about $20,000. That's really good. 35 mil? Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, we. Um, I'll tell you what the, the no, clincher was. Four K. Um, my my last my last year of university. You're laughing, but I don't know why it's funny because I haven't seen it. So I don't know why you're it's laughing. online. Is it? Yeah, okay. you can just go on my website. So um, so what happened was my last year of university, uh, the Society for Filmmaking, um, there was uh, a show that was filming out of Calgary called Fear Itself. Yeah. Um, and they were shooting some segments in Edmonton, but the uh, but I guess they were looking at the dailies in Calgary. And they were shit. And they were like, no, we're going to reshoot all this stuff in Calgary. Fuck, fuck Edmonton. So what happened was they closed down the production in, in Edmonton the and they had all this yeah, film yeah. that they had nothing to do with. And then, uh, uh, the president of the time, his name was Blake. He went up to them. And he's like, Hey, can I have your film? And I, I, I like to picture it in my head like he was hanging around the set. <laughs> and he just gave him like a box of Just loitering. Eh? Uh, excuse me. Yeah. As the trucks are waiting in a film. Can I just <laughs> yeah. have a couple of those cases? So, so the, film was, the film was with the society. <laughs> sir, and sir. It sat in what? a fridge for a year because basically the society yeah. was like, Who's gonna have the money to shoot this? Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm, uh, you know, I'm paying off my student loans up in Fort Murray, pay them off quicker than anyone else. Suddenly I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm like, you know what? I should really like work on a film, like a film film. I've never really worked on actual film. Everyone says it's a big deal. So I might as well do it. And plus there's a whole thing about like, oh my God, I want to shoot on film. Yeah. Right. Cause obviously if, if, if you're into, if you're into making movies, you're kind of like a tech geek and you always want to try everything at least once. Right. So. Um, I got a whole technology. Yeah, exactly. So then I, I brought in my dream team and then I went to the society, even though I was done school and I was like, I want to make the movie. And they're like, well, we will need to talk about it because you're no longer soon. I'm like, I'm an alumni technically. So the argument was put forth that if I get to make my movie, right, the, the movie I want to, 
I will allow, oh, well, I will bring on as many members from the society to help out on it so they can get the experience yeah. and also. And we were able to work out a really great deal. And uh, yeah, so, and, and I kid you not, there's still film sitting there. Like, and, and the, unfortunately, everyone that was part of the society is gone now. How long ago was this? This would have been, they got the film in 2007. So, it, it, but it's in a freezer. So yeah. technically, you still, yeah. shot in 07. So, yeah. So, I mean, because it, it expires, right? Yeah. But it was a lot. We we ended up using, I think, about twelve thousand feet. Yeah, twelve thousand feet is what we ended up using. So how long? How long is it edited? Huh? How long, how long is, is the movie? Uh, 12, 12, No, eight minutes. Eight minutes eight is the minutes? final cut. Yeah, but we shot a, we shot a lot. Like we yeah. shot like uh, I'm trying to what is it? Is it is the math like twelve hundred twelve hundred feet for a minute? You said you originally had like oh twenty minutes of footage. Yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. we tr we like we yeah. had to plan it. We couldn't waste the film, right? Yeah. So yeah. But it was fun. I mean, it was a process. Would I do it again? Hell no. Because, <laughs> holy shit, it's long. It's expensive. I mean, uh, essentially, uh, you know, And at the t but it was a great learning project, right? You learn a lot. Like, you can read all you want about film and working on, on the in the process stuff. Yep. But until you do it yourself, I mean, like, I envy you for having that experience, being able to shoot photography in an age where it was all done on film. There was no uh, digital form. Because, like, I, I, I... It sucked. I don't well, know why it does, but it think about the experience that you got in it, right? Oh, no, I, I see what you're saying. Because um, you really have to, like, I would imagine, especially if you're trying to save on what you're doing in, in terms of, like, uh, it, like how much work is this going to take me? Like, you really focus on what's, comp like, your compositions and how much garbage can I really, uh, garbage shots can I really have? Because I want, make I, I'll tighter. Have, I'm going to have to develop them. I'm going to yeah. have to do this. Well, when you, especially in film, when you're shooting a wedding, there's no fucking around because... Yeah. There's just you, you don't have time to stop the no ride to yeah. pop it out, change a roll of fucking film. Like you just can't. Yeah. Um, well, my uh, first wedding I shot was on an XTI. Hey. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> but, uh, you, but you can't. The, the one thing for me with film that was uh, that's kind of lost is the excitement, like going down to the automat um, or the film mat or whatever you called it. Uh, I I went to the old pharmacy. Yeah, no, there was no pharmacy. We had a film place in Ottawa. I can't. It, the name escapes me now. But I used to bring all my film there, and then uh, going back the next day and, and picking up my envelopes. And you're you're not even in the fucking parking lot. You're slowly walking out the door, looking flipping at flipping yeah. your fly. Or if you I got, got, I would get uh, I still got boxes full yeah. because I love that. In, um, I took a lot of pictures. I still yeah. remember the movie Super Eight. Yeah. When when he's getting the film developed and yeah. they're watching it for the first time, yeah. <laughs> that's what that that's, reminds that's me. That's exactly what it was yeah. like, though. Yeah. So, and there's this this anticipation and excitement that when you pick it up, or you get um, when I would do fashion stuff, you get a contact sheets made and go through the contact sheet with a loop. I'm literally doing it at the counter. Like I wouldn't even leave the counter, and the people on the other side of the counter who are also photographers who work in camera stores mm -hmm. would be like, "Oh, I love that. Let me look at some of them." And then there's like four of us hovering with loops. With uh, <laughs> loops going over all the pictures and God, I mean, no, that's I've just always, God. I mean, I've always envied the tech. Like a, I still, a photo I still developer. get, it, but I mean, I, I still, I think that exists still. It's just different now because, like, well, now it's it's chimping. Now yeah. you're looking at the back of your monitor. Yeah, Everyone's exactly. coming over you and yeah, yeah. Ooh, well, ah, yeah. you're scrolling <laughs> through Arkham Rising. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. And like the, the big yeah. thing in Arkham Rising was when we got that smile down. Or like, yeah. we're like, oh my God, we nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Like I said, I've always, I've always kind of envied a photo tech because. Imagine all the stuff that they have seen. Like the big question yeah. was like, "Oh, how many fucking nude pics are people fucking pictures? Do you see right in well, thousands? I mean, this, thousands? Oh this, yeah, this thousands. is gonna be the future right here, man. It's gonna be 
people shooting shit on devices this small yeah. that are going to like I, I have no doubt that eventually not the future it's the, here now well no no but what i'm getting at is producing they producing compl- like yeah. something 4k 8k whatever oh, it, it becomes yeah. on like a phone right i was like, going mean, say like what zach, that? what zach did with his uh, iff stuff last year was all shot on the 4s yeah and, and i thought that was amazing yeah exactly and it's just as good as filming Fucking with, right uh, it with was. a handicap yeah. or something right so I mean, uh, I surprised one of my Aussie friends uh, <laughs> at a wedding in Bali in November, and I filmed my whole trip down there. Um, we we're surprising him, and then I got dressed up in a ridiculous outfit and <laughs> had one of them film me coming out to the um, the swim up bar pool uh, in the resort and mm-hmm. and surprise him. And, and I edited, I shot that, edited it, and posted it all from my iPhone. Yeah, like I actually edited it on my iPhone, yeah. which was not really that much fun. <laughs> compared to using a laptop not as it, easy as the commercials no. d- did you dictates. was it a dry movie yeah oh, but okay. i did i got the whole thing edited put it out dropped in the soundtrack pumped it out and then uploaded it to vimeo and was sharing it like the next day the next day that's crazy no that's fucking awesome right like i was telling you like i was still trying to get uh, the program that channel will be named i guess you say <laughs> isn't still trying to get photoshop down but i was actually tinkering with edit programs in my phone Mm-hmm. That to me is getting me better results than what I can learn on this fucking Photoshop. Well, I mean, it, there's so much more automatic stuff happening. And to go back, what this whole podcast is about, and the fact that like there's like there's so much more people that are so much more hobbyists than there used to be because it's that much easier to become a hobbyist. Yeah. Okay, let's get back on topic because now this is the hot point for me. This yeah. is a conversation I've had in many different online forums, from photography to filmmaking to everything. One of the, one of the big things that I would argue about on black magic forums is that so many people on there bitching about the fact that the camera doesn't do this or doesn't do that. I'm like, dude, it's a $3,000 camera that shoots fucking raw. Like a year ago, you were on your hands and knees bowing to the company for the amazement of what they did. And now you're chirping because there's no audio meters in the fucking LCD panel. And what it comes back to is a lot of people, especially at the hobbyist level, look to the technology to to replace their lack of skill, right? Or knowledge. Or knowledge, yeah. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that um, because that's that's how we learn as humans is, is either A, through trial and error, or B, through, you know, absorbing information that's provided for us. The can, if the can, wow. The camera? You totally hit a wall there. I know I did because I was going to say the Nikon, and then I thought camera, and and I shoot Canon. Too many concussions, and yeah, my brain just go up solid there, man. But like Nikon even has this great feature in the DSLRs, where um, especially in, in easy mode, learner mode, it'll do everything for you, but it shows right on the LCD why it's setting. The aperture, why it's setting the, the, uh, Thus the exposure. Yeah. And it actually teaches the person while they're using the camera in idiot mode or full auto mode. Why, <laughs> why they do it? Well, that's what I call it. Yeah. So, but it's true though. Everybody, everybody. I, has, I also noticed that, that when you're, when like, you're, I really use yeah. that. When, the technology, <laughs> when the technology is limited, it makes you better because you work around the limitations of the technology. So Invent, yeah. necessity is the mother of all invention. And this is why I hate George Lucas. This is why I hate the remastering of his movies. I know why he does it, because he has a vision. He was never able to do it. But in the necessity of trying to create something that was he just fucking something, impossible yeah. in the time. Impossible in the time. He created magic. He created magic. Yeah. I don't need to see a CG fucking Yoda. I like that we, fucking We got puppet. Yoda. Yeah, exactly. I love that puppet. There's no need to fucking change it. 
And ironically, but, that puppet was more real when you first saw him definitely. than he is in all the remakes. That, that puppet the, was more real in the original trilogy than fucking episode Like, the, the Yoda Don't get me wrong, I don't mind the like, fucking CGI, but there's a... Neither do I. Wow. See, but I know what you're saying. But the, there's also... This is a, a point where I get frustrated with CGI is... is at the, and I didn't mention this before. I actually went to school for my and soft image and actually went into 3d animation back in the nineties before I started working at Corel. Um, it was cause I couldn't get a job in LA that I ended up working for Corel. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. Another story for another day, but, uh, but, hire you on but you go Park? To, no, no, I, I did interview with digital domain. <laughs> in Disney. Nice. Yeah. I interviewed with a bunch of them. But, called but, like, uh, Fuck no. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but even then, and that's why, again, I have this love for Jurassic Park is Jurassic Park was the first movie I ever saw where, I thought CG was done right. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's no, I mean, a really good trained eye can tell you where there's, they're using the animatronic and when they're using CG, but for the most part, you can't fucking tell. tell. It's a tool. And, that's right. why. But now they use the tool instead of hiring an actor or doing expensive costuming. Now they just fuck it. We'll green screen. We'll use CG. We'll just render this. We'll get it in CG. post. Yeah. We'll get it in post. <laughs> Tron. And, uh, yeah, exactly. That's Jeff Daniels said, well, I'll just do double acting, right? It'll take yeah. longer. I think it doubled their shooting days, yeah. which increased their budget. And they're like, no, no, we'll do CGI. We can do this. And yeah. they're at that technology now. And it's just like, oh. but it doesn't, it doesn't hit the mark. No, it doesn't hit the mark. And, and their bullshit excuse that's saying a, that well, that's the Tron universe. Yeah. Fuck off! You guys couldn't get nail it down. Anyway. <laughs> that's a cost. Hide your CGI <laughs> Jeff Bridges <laughs> in the shadows. <laughs> but to bring it back to the the point of of, the, of our our story here is that for me, it's uh, the big thing with the Black Magic is that the democratization of filmmaking tools. Because traditionally, and you know this, the cost of one of these cameras, the co- the buy in cost level. Just to start in filmmaking, you're dropping twenty, thirty, forty grand to start. Yeah, that gives you basically not a whole fuck of a lot. That's no lighting. That's natural lighting filming. That's just audio and some cameras and some some good sticks, maybe a dolly. That's it. Mm. And uh, it's just ridiculously expensive to get in. So you're you're forced to use a rental system. A lot of rental systems won't rent to you unless you're a company or you have and with insurance. That's why they wouldn't or, give us the area. Yeah, or you have uh, you have a massive credit card and you can put a humongous fucking deposit down. Kevin Smith. They won't, yeah, they won't rent to you. So you're really restricted to using tools that can't complete the job. Now, with the, and the Black Magic's not the only one. That's the DSLR revolution, really. The 5D mm-hmm. really opened the floodgates with that. The Black Magic really brought that down to the masses in a true video recording format, not just in the 5D, but I'm just saying in a real video camera brought raw to the masses. And we went through this with the DSLRs. So this is where my opinion about the whole giving away your work for free and stuff like that's where it all comes full circle for me. Because you invest so much into it. You invest something into being a professional and working full time at something. Anybody can buy a DSLR. Anybody can shoot. There's no cost factor. There's no cost limiting to shooting digital. You can shoot 10,000 frames on that camera. It doesn't cost you a penny after you've bought the camera. Nothing. In the old days, you might still spend two grand buying the camera, the film Try to camera. Keep it below 2,000 feet. Yeah. yeah. But you're just shooting film, film, film. There's a cost. So the learning curve was really sharp. And, and there's no guarantee. You couldn't just spray and pray. You couldn't just shoot because it was cost inhibitive. You couldn't shoot 500 frames and then pick out your five good ones. Now people can do that. And and it's kind of changed the landscape of what people expect. Yeah. Just like Walmart changed the landscape, and I, I'm not bashing them, but coming back to it, when Walmart really rolled out across the land, it yeah. changed people's expectations of how much they should be paying for a pair of sandals or a bath towel. The same way DSLRs have changed how people expect 
photographers to provide photography services. And it's, and for the professional, it's in a negative light. Like it really, I would have art, I would sit there, somebody would see my work, want to hire me for a wedding. I would tell them it was two grand. They're like, two grand? That's like really high. We just had a woman tell us 300. I'm like, go with their asshole. Yeah. And I'm like, but I was like, 300. I'm like, how the fuck do I pay my rent if you're, you know, like the amount of hours and work I'm putting into it. But these, this other person has a full time job. They just do it on the weekends. They just enjoy doing it. And to them, it's like when you're starting out and someone says, well, how much, how much can I pay you to do that professionally? And you don't know because mm-hmm. you're just doing it for fun. You're like, uh, well, I don't, and you don't think of putting a value on it. And pricing is something that every, Every business owner, when they're starting a business, it struggles with. Every yeah. business owner. And doing it in this form doesn't change either. It, it, and, and unfortunately, this is kind of the quote-unquote disease of the creative field in general. I mean, even artists that say digital designers, painters, uh, musicians, uh, they all suffer from this too. Because, you th- oh my God, the music industry used to, for example, cutting a record – I mean, it, like scoring a film. You were, you were in, yeah, you were in your, uh, like, uh, the 80s format was you would go to your garage, you would record your demo tape, and you know, that, that was, it, it would still cost you money, but I mean, it, that was considered cheap back in the 80s. Now it's, holy shit, you just go into Pro Tools, and you don't even fucking need instruments at this point, right? No, so. That's true. But going back to, like, I was just playing devil's advocate there in my head, and I, I'll just play this out because I'm sure there's a response. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a response for it. But like you just said right there, you're like, okay, this chick's offering three hundred. My price is two thousand. How do you? And then you said it there. How do you expect me to pay rent, feed kids, blah blah mm-hmm. blah? As a consumer, why would I care? You don't. That's the thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, is that the problem? Like, is that what the like in for this example, like photography? It, you you want the client to care, but I, like, no. I'm just trying to figure out, like, you know, where is that line where there's, I don't want to hear your sob story, but no, why no. you need the two thousand? Let's try to figure out what your services are valued at because. Yeah. Like that, that's the argument that we've had that, too. Like I feel my services are valued at three million dollars. This is this is the breakdown though, is where somebody assumes where the services end, start, and end. When you sit down and, and hire, for an example, a photographer, and you're hiring a photographer, and you're like, okay, you look at their portfolio, you look at the pictures they have on the website. Mm. Which, if they've been working for any length of time, they've shot fifty thousand photos. You're looking at twenty. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty easy to put the twenty best photos on on your on your browser. Yeah. On your portfolio, and then. But then what it falls back to, what are their contacts? What are their, you know, the referrals they have, the history they have? And then it's all the, again, when you're a professional and you're doing this for a living, you can't fail. You can't. So if I shoot a wedding, I have two cameras. I have two flashes. I have two everything. I have double of everything in case anything, you know, I have a rock solid camera that's never failed me. I still bring two. All right. Because that's part of the things you just can't fail. You hire for someone 300 bucks. It's a crapshoot. Maybe a fail. Maybe it won't. Maybe they've done thirty weddings. They've never had a problem. But on your wedding day, you're walking down the aisle. Beep, they get an error ninety nine on their camera. <laughs> you're fucked. Yeah, right? but I mean, also and to me, you just. I know we were talking about professionalism definition. You just described it. Now, whether that's a hobbyist that that gave me that exact definition, definition, or someone that did it as a career, that's professionalism. The backup plans, the fucking redundancies, yeah. the ensuring this, the scheduling, the timing. Ultimately, the that's professional. But, but on top of world. that, but on top of that, to me, it comes back to the experience level, right? So somebody, if you show me somebody who says, say, does photography, uh, I'm just going to keep sticking in my world, right? And who's been doing photography for 20 years, even as a hobby, has been doing it for 20 years, and only wants 300 dollars to do a shoot. 
there's something misaligned there. Because over time, you see, you're not just getting my backup plan and everything. You're also getting my experience and knowledge. So just like a first-time EMT gets to a car crash and things are really bloody and bad, they're going to react with a bit of panic. There's going to be that insecurity because they haven't been in that situation before. It doesn't matter the book knowledge they have and the training they have. Once you're thrown into war, it's all bets are off. Whereas the experienced person has that calmness about them and they know how to deal with the situations. It's the same thing. So if all of a sudden you're doing photos in the park or your mother-in-law is drunk and causing a ruckus, the photographer who has the experience knows how to deal with the situation and keep things going and still save the day. The inexperienced person is like, oh, that's not my problem. Like, I don't know. You need to go deal with her. So there's, there's – <laughs> no, but it's true. But there's right. a whole list of things that are um, intangible. They're not things you could put on your website to. Here's why you, you're paying me two grand. I don't know. That's a good selling point, actually. <laughs> no, but it's true. But I you're not dealing with a drunk mother-in-law. <laughs> Well, uh, here's what, uh, uh, towards Sean's argument here, I would say that um, the same way that if you were the person in the car accident, you want the EMT with the 20 years experience and knows how to save your life as opposed to the guy that's just out of school. If if your wedding day is the most important day of your life, you're going to want someone who's going to be able to take those photos and you don't have to worry about whether those photos are going to come out right whether or not uh, he's got backups, whether or not this photo is going to be able to be reproduced and blown up 20 years from then, right? Mm-hmm. That's the difference. And ultimately, just like anything that you buy, you get what you pay for. If you go with the cheap option, don't expect it to yeah. last forever. And more importantly, don't expect it to uh, hold up to scrutiny, like you were saying about yeah. the three questions. So let me let me wrap up my thought from where I'm coming from for that, the valuation of arts. So if you look at us as a culture, as a society, uh, arts has always been this kind of industry in the side that stands there with their hands out. Like we need money from the government to support our museum, our art gallery. Especially in Canada. Yes. We need to really, we need this, this, you know, tax support to maintain the arts. And I think that is something that needs to change in this country. I think arts needs to change their position and really become more self-sustaining because you look at everything used to be all about uh, our culture. So your medical services, your police services, your fire services, they're all run at a cost because it was just essential. So the better, the healthier financially you're doing as a community, the better your services were because you had more tax dollars coming in, et cetera, et cetera. And in the, uh, you know, after a couple of recessions in the eighties and everything like that, that just kind of really changed the financial landscape on a government level. And now it's like, no, we, you know, the police need to be run like a business. They have to be, you know, viable. They can't just run at a massive loss. Um, you know, they're, they're not salesmen. Don't get me wrong, but you know what I mean? Like they yeah, have yeah. to cut their costs and they had to be really, yeah. you know, so, so now, for example, we don't really pay police to patrol because patrolling adds a lot of maintenance on the vehicles. It costs a lot of money in gas. It's far better for them to sit parked on the side of the road with a radar gun and generate tickets. And that also generates something else called numbers. That they can stats. show to right stats, whereas well, you know, we feel the community is much safer when the Here's police the are patrolling. Yeah. You know, so we've really shifted from, and this this comes back to the Walmart mentality of we have. Here's what you're getting for this price, and that's what people look for, and that's what they look for in everything now. And photography is one of these things where 20 years ago you needed a photographer, you couldn't do it yourself. You know, there's cameras, mom and dad, everybody had an uncle that had a camera which is the same as today at any wedding, right? But now we have it on our fucking phones. We have like eight megapixel. I've used a photo from this phone in, out of a commercial shoot. 
and run in a print ad from my phone. So I mean, no now, one was the wiser. Well, now they are. <laughs> but I mean, this, this, my point. We got to hire you yeah. for jobs. Like, <laughs> but you now, this is what you're getting is now photography has become, as in, for instance, has become devalued in the minds of the masses because it's so portable, it's so accessible. Everybody can take a photo. Everybody can say what they want about a photo. We feel it's just like with movies where you talk about the knowledgeable viewers and they have to step up their game when they make movies now because you can't get away with the same old tricks because the audience is smarter now. They've been exposed to this for generations. It's the same thing with photography and it's so accessible and so used now that it's not, it's not a special. So you really have to do a better job yourself as a photographer to sell that you make things special, that you're going to provide special because anybody can take every, anybody can press a, a, a button on the camera. Anybody can do that. That's not what's going to give you the best results for it any use. Sounds to me like the, 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 the problem might be more with the market that everybody just wants everything cheap. But that's you know, never going to change though. Yeah. We, we want police services cheap. We want, yeah. uh, we don't want to have to pay for use to go to the hospital, mm-hmm. but we, they found a way to do it. They, yep. Maybe they've made the service shittier. There's longer wait times, et cetera. But they found a way to do it. But I find the arts community still lags behind where we're really stuck in the model that we've been using for 30, 40 years. And we still want to go through the grants process. And we still want to get this money, this money from this arts council, that arts council. And I think artists as a whole need to get off that bandwagon and really start working proactively to make it more sustainable independently available yeah and i'm not going to disagree with anything you said but the part of me that's torn and and correct i'm guessing this obviously with the benefits of talking about this in person than rather i'm fucking post post on facebook is i might get some insight from you for this one is the mindset of i'm not i'm not going to say it right but fuck i'll just say it for some things what else are you going to do like what like as an example of uh art we'll take arkham rising like, uh, I'm sure there's always something that we could be doing. Sure. But with Arkham Rising, if we're like, well, we're not going to get paid for this movie and this is not going to be any good for us, then, then no, we're just going to do nothing. We're just going to keep doing a podcast. I'll keep going to work and we're not going to do it. To me, I'd rather do something yeah. to, to follow a passion, to follow a story, to make something come to life and even not get paid for it yeah. just to see it. Do, do you love what you guys created? Absolutely. Great. So what's the problem? Well, this is my thing. When when we were fighting on the, when we were fighting on the Facebook, yeah. you were saying if you're not going to have value in your art, yeah, or you're not going to sell it, or or maybe it's cover. Not, it. No, no, that, see, that's that's where I think we're getting off on the wrong message on Facebook. Okay. It's not about commercializing or profiting from what you're making. It's about the viability of the art you're creating. So if you can create art for free in your garage, create art for free in your garage. It's, you're not devaluing other people's work because you're doing it for free. That's also not, don't understand that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the services you render. So you've made that movie, you've made this other movie, and now the arts, you know, not the arts council, the what you call it, the Alberta people want you. Hey, well, let's make this video for them. Well, there, there's a commercial value to what they're asking for. They're just manipulating your love of what you're doing to get it for free. Uh, you're undervaluing yeah, okay. what we you're doing. Def- that's, yeah, yeah, we were definitely. Yeah. That's that's my that opinion. Yeah. I'm not saying don't make free art. Uh, and then, like you said, don't, don't, I don't undervalue gonna, yourself either. No, that's my. So point. many artists do that, especially but, at the enthusiast level, mm-hmm. because because people will manipulate it too. To, you're oh, not okay. used to. So back. Okay, I think I got my foot in for this one. So let's take Roddy as the example. 
he wanted to do this for the sole fact that he just wants to make this trailer, this commercial yeah. for something to do, and has a chance to win a MacBook at doing it. Yeah. Oh, did Roddy do it? Uh, no, but the, I think that was where the, the conversation was coming. But my from, point right? in that in that particular case that set this off is yeah. I is my opinion was this is a manipulation of people. On behalf of the Alberta government. Which can easily afford to fucking pay somebody to do it. Okay. Maybe yeah, they I'm not going to argue that. Con- You're right. Yeah. Maybe they can make the contest more appealing than here's a fucking laptop or here's an iPad. And here's some grant money. You should <laughs> no, exactly. Here's yeah. here's something that's going to make a difference yeah, yeah. rather than here's a cheap giveaway that no, okay, probably yeah, didn't yeah. cost them a penny. You're right. It, that's yeah. where my breakdown was. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a separation. Bet- I totally lost it. I I started thinking of something, and then you went on that, and then it's just gone. <laughs> but no, like, but, like to me, like that's where the hump has always been. Like, oh, and, that's it. And I go ahead. Okay, so lose it again. <laughs> so, how did you make Arkham Rising? Where'd you get the money? Self-funded. Our full-time jobs that we work. Where'd at. you get the money? Our full-time jobs. Your bank account. But yeah, our own money. You yeah. just put in your own money. So let's just say you didn't work in Fort McMurray. Let's just say you didn't have the know, cushy lifestyle. Where this is going. Yeah. Do you? Okay. Yeah. So. You know, People have been making movies for over a hundred years. People have gotten people to pay for those movies to be created for a hundred years. The problem is, is you don't know how to do that. You don't. You don't know how to go out and fundraise and get money to get your project produced. But again, we get into the handouts. It's what's a handout? Well, you were just saying how there was there's uh, the government of Alberta giving out grants. For that's grant. I'm not talking about grants. No, no, but it's a handout. Isn't that the same thing? A grant's a handout. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. And so what I'm getting at is we could have, we could have, and, and I talked, I talked to a group out of it. The idea would have been to do a Kickstarter campaign yeah. to get the funding to do yeah. Arkham Rising. Even better. But here's my argument. You can't do Kickstarter Wh- in Canada, but anyway. Well, well or, or was, let's see, Indiegogo, Indiegogo, which is none. Yeah. You're failed before you start. <laughs> well, no, I've, I know people that have had success with it, but uh, uh, two reasons. Hold on. Let's bookmark that because I want to, I want to hear yeah. some thoughts. Okay. Let's, let's <laughs> uh, number one, um, I felt that we didn't need it. Uh, I felt we could have done it ourselves. And um, after, uh, basically, I said, if we can get a location, we can do this all ourselves. We yeah. already have the equipment. Number two was, we put it out there that we want to make this film. Someone who's already got the funding will make it before us. Well, that depends. See, that's, well, Hollywood's been doing this for like yeah. 100 years, right? So th- my point is that when you're going to the grants, you're basically lining up to the trough. And you're like, there's so much money that the government's given out in grants. Let's everybody line up and try to get a piece of that action, get some, get some of that money so I can get my stuff made. If you take ownership of your project and say, okay, this is a project I believe in, I want to make, you know, it needs this much money. This is what it needs to make the, what I want to make. Doesn't matter if it's a thousand bucks or if it's a hundred thousand bucks. This is what the requirement yeah. is. When you're going through sponsorship or you're getting a producer, you're finding somebody who's got money to invest in the project. They're getting something back from the project. This is really a business transaction at this point. Yeah. Going to the government with your handout for a grant is not a business transaction. It's, you know, again, you're depend, you're waiting for that money. And then what happens if you don't get the grant? Ah, fuck, I couldn't get a grant this year. As long as you're waiting for that money to come from the government, you'll always be waiting. If you're, if you're waiting so to... So you're saying that the projects wouldn't get done as long as we're waiting. They're not getting done. Okay. And there's also the side that a lot of people don't know how to get grants. They don't know how to access that money. That's what the thing I'm most ang- anxious about seeing, how well Russell does here in this community, of going to Ottawa and getting that money and bringing it to Fort McMurray. Because it's the money's there, but it has to be made available and accessible to the people here. And then how is it going to be 
judiciously handed out to the people yeah, here. Well, Edmonton What's already the process? Has. Well, exactly. like, the thing is, but it's it, 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 what bothers me about, uh, say, let's say, for example, the way the AFA does their grant process. There's basically the people that give up, the, the people, the jury that decides on the grants are former people that got grants. So it's a closed loop. It is. It really is because it shouldn't be. It's not really being based at like, uh, I'm not bitter about it, but at the same time, you're bitter about it. I'm fucking pissed. (laughs) Originally for, uh, originally for, uh, Nighthawks, I, I, I applied for the AFA grant. Yeah. Got boom, shot down flat twice in a row, two years in a row. Now, um, uh, a friend of mine got the grant, right? And great. That's awesome. But in comparison, basically, just to draw a picture, he his grant application, his first one, the one that was successful, was what I used as a template to create mine. Got shut down. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Maybe they didn't want the same uh, mm-hmm. uh, trick pony. The second one was insanely detailed, just like so highly detailed in what exactly, how it was going to use the funds. And it was basically like, let's get this done. Again, shot down. So I'm like, what was the issue, right? But ultimately, it's it's a matter of whether or not they like the idea, right? It, it, going after money, whether it's private money or yep. grant money, is all about selling. Yep. And, and every successful director yep. will tell you the same thing when they have to get their project made. It doesn't matter if it's in Hollywood or here. You have to be able to yep. convince people to get on board with your project. No, that's, right. that's the biggest thing, right? That's never going to change. Um, what I'm talking about here, what we're talking about here for me is really the value of the art. Mm-hmm. So if the art is really dependent solely on grants and solely on money being handed to you, then you've, you've set yourself at a, at a welfare level. A lot of that's people, don't, a lot of people don't like that word. Cause if you really want it made, you're going to do it anyway. Exactly. So, but if, if you change the system, if, if there's more proactive marketing done, if there's more proactive efforts done by people like you guys are making all these great projects you've started a film association everything there's other people that are doing similar things in everything from pottery to quilting to everything but now do you really need the government to give you an arts council to manage that and to help you guys oh i see what this you're is what i'm saying yeah, yeah. why do you need that you well, don't need that i would make the in argument this day that and age we shouldn't need that i'll, I'll give you a good uh, i'll give you and and this is a precursor to our first general meeting for the Film Association. Which I will be at. Yeah. It's it's not for us to do what we want to do. It's for us to help others do what they want to exactly. do. Because our challenge right Which now is, is the point of the whole we're only yeah. four people. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, and, and we, we get approached like even all the himself. time. Look what's on that fucking we, we, board. <laughs> we, we get approached all the time by people that want to get a project, uh, a project made because they like the stuff we've done and they want to yeah. work with us. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I want to work with you. But here's the thing. Most, again, most valuable thing we have is our time. Mm-hmm. So I, so what we decided was let's put our time in creating an association where not only do we get to help those people that we want to work with, but we help them. Basically, the idea is to try to create a domino effect where people will start working together because they're meeting at these meetings. And then that way, they're – it almost sounds like a pyramid scheme. It's like they, all they have to do is give us $5,000. No, but, but, but the idea is – Get that going. And what if in terms of council money or arts money for it, the idea is made uh, with that money is to basically create a place or events where all these people can network and meet, mm-hmm. and, and which is genius. I'm hoping. But, but let me back up on one thing. So you guys are working on these private projects, personal projects. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And you guys are paying for them out of your own pocket and you're not selling them. But you've both said to me at two different times, you would love to be making movies full time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, so what's your plan? How are you going to jump from doing all your free work right now out of your own back pocket to jumping to doing paid work? Oh, you like don't have a ferry? Big scale. No, that's a, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. This, we got a ferry. This is where this comes, three years down the road. This comes back me. to the value of things, right? Doing free work. I do pro bono stuff all the time. I do a lot less of it now because I don't have as much time. Mm-hmm. And as we're talking about, your time is the most valuable thing. And I'm not saying I don't see value in doing pro bono work, especially stuff that's very visible. And that's like Arkham Rising is a perfect example of that. Mm. That's a great piece. It got a lot of play. That's Time well spent. Yeah, no, um, but, but my only rebuttal to that one, and this is coming from the least educated on this fucking table and the one that's, to me, I think most talentless. And I'm not saying that as a, as a, any kind of, <laughs> don't undersell yourself. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying, like, no, <laughs> what did we just talk about? I know. You just up. undervalued yourself. Hold on. It doesn't, I'm not talking that way. I'm talking the simple fact that I don't have an education in this. I'm, my fucking trade ticket is emergency medicine, mm-hmm. right? I have a life of, of, I was about to fucking say it, but I'm not going to say it on the podcast. The sole fact that this was a fantasy that I always dreamed of that I would have had if I had it all back would have yeah. jumped into the education and technical side at high school. Yeah that I'm basically delivering this now is because, and this is where I think I get the whole right on my heels when yeah. people say like, well, don't always don't do stuff for free or va- to undervalue yourself yeah. is for the sole fact that I just hit a fucking wall. I can't remember what the fuck I was going to try to end right. that with. But the time, like this is like what you're saying. Your time is worth money. I don't give a fuck if you went to school. Like that doesn't make a difference. Like what we're talking about is, is the art that you're creating, whether it's in storytelling, whether it's painting, whatever it's, what, what yeah. poetry it doesn't fucking matter. You're creating art. Now, if you just gave away your art for free to everybody, you're sharing your art with the community. That's fantastic. But if everybody does that to a certain level, then that whole industry has no support. So define the level then. What do you mean define the level? Oh, like, so I, okay. I think this is what I was trying to get at is take cover as an example. Like you keep saying is take what cover the, one of the movies that we just, oh, yeah, 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 okay. The, um, Fuck, man, I can't word these properly. Like you said, what's your plan to transition into... Uh, into yeah, if a, that's your dream, if that's where you'd like to well, go... Hold on. Is there a formula? Is there a way to do this? No. Everyone you talk to is something separately, yeah. right? And for the soul, and for me, we're the, the binding part is, is if we went up to a fucking Hollywood producer and be like, we want to make uh, a missing scene in a Chris Nolan uh, universe, they'd be like, who the fuck are you? And get the fuck and out. And here's our lawyer. It, it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want to make a... Evil Dead homage. Like, yeah. no, turn around and leave. Like, it's, I don't want to see a project not get made for the sole fact that you can't find funding for it, that no one knows who you are. But, and, oh, and, and you're like, now oh. I'm going to really regret having five concussions because I can't remember the movie that went across <laughs> the desks for eight years before it got made. And he almost gave up on the movie Inception like five, was, six Inception times. Inception was one, no, but I don't know if you talked about that. Yeah. Man, I'm gonna have to go Rocky? home and Google the fuck out of this. But no, but in in any profession, you're gonna to have to kill some babies, regardless. You write a story, you love a story. Some of them are gonna die. You just have to. Just keep moving forward. Yeah, but my point coming back to this is though, is that you're you're spending your time and your energy creating. Um, so as as I went back at the beginning and said, photography is pretty devalued now because of how widely accessible it is. Anybody can take a fucking photo. If 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 poetry is uh, is flooded into our into our universe, good poetry, not the not the haikus I write on the toilet, good poetry <laughs> floods floods our community. It's wonderful. It's great. Everybody enjoys it. Everybody absorbs it. Everybody appreciates it in the short term. But it's just like it's just like the wet floor sign that's there every fucking day. You just ignore it after a while. It's not special anymore. It's not recognized for its talent. And that that's what happens. 
when art is just made too accessible. We take it for granted. We already take art for granted. You just make it that much more for granted. Uh, so right now, no. you, ask, you ask the young generation how much they feel they should pay for a movie, and they'll tell you a buck or fuck that. It should, it should all be free because they've been, they've been raised in a system where they don't have to pay for it. They get it for free. So they really undervalue what that industry is. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. Like, but that's what, what I'm saying. So if you apply that to the, uh, to the model as a whole, if everybody who created art gave it away for free, it would lose its luster. It would lose – and it's not the free – see, it's not the money for – I don't want to see someone thing. not do something based on that theory though. I don't want to see someone – like you but, said – But like, they don't. That's not the point. People make art all the time. It's once you enter into the commercial space. So if, you, if you're a painter and you've been painting your garage for five years and you just gave all your paintings to Syncrude and that's what they've used to plaster all their buildings, well, you've just taken money out of the, out of the mouths of a whole bunch of painters who do it for a living. And this is where we come back to people who make art for a living and people who make art as a hobby. They're both making so art. So what if you were that artist in that garage that yeah. w- wanted people to see your art so bad, but instead why, of... Why, why aren't you selling it? Because no one's going to buy it. Says who? Says see, the, the 10 people that I just tried to get you to buy it, and they said no. That's only 10 people. Like, so the, go the, 11, the, go 12, where do you draw the line? The, the, you don't. But this is my point, though. The breakdown is you don't fucking know. You don't have the knowledge to sell it. That's why you don't fucking sell it. The enthusiasts don't know how to profit from their art. They don't feel like they're qualified to profit from the art so they don't profit from the art they give it away that's the problem it's not a humongous problem but in certain industries it gets worse and then it gets better and it gets worse it gets better and it, photography right now is crippling for no, that I, you gave a good example and it just goes back to a recent <laughs> a heated discussion that i had where it's just like how bad and what are you willing to do yeah. To, to make it in quote-unquote Hollywood, right? And I guess it all comes down to a, a personal limitation. And, and that's where, like, if you're that artist in that garage that just wants people to see the art so bad, you tried to sell it, it wasn't working. And finally, Sinkrude said, you know what, we'll deck the halls with this shit, but you just, you got to give it to us for free. What do you do? Well, to me as an art, like, to me as the quote-unquote artist I am, I, I'd give those paintings up. Why not? Why not just give it to a museum then? Why not give it oh, to well, an now art gallery? Getting, now, okay. No, but my well, no. point is... You're, like, don't get me wrong. I'd rather give my fucking... Uh, I'd rather give Arkham Rising directly to Chris Nolan if I could, but like... But why wouldn't you... Uh, at that point, I'm just saying, when, well, there's, a, when there's a company that has a value, these people pay tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the artwork hanging in their, in their buildings. And you go into that situation, they look at you, and you know what? And it's just... It's the exact same thing as that ad for the fucking laptop. And they say, well, here's this guy. We just found out... You know, here's this trade, there's this little secret in Fort McMurray. Nobody knew about this guy. He's been painting for 40 years. His house is full of this shit. Syncrude or Suncorp. And again, I'm not talking shit about these companies. No, no, it's just example. Name. That's example, the yeah. local, right? Go in there and scoop all this shit up. Hey, we just saved ourselves a hundred grand by getting this guy's shit. Like it's, but there's people- No, I, I get where you're coming from, but I understand it. It's just, I'm trying to. Well, how about this as an argument? What if, uh, all those paintings out on the site get noticed by other people that won't work done? And that's and this is how I view Arkham Rising, and our, my biggest regret. For yeah, Arkham no, and this Rising is where app. we've that, and that's that my too. point. My, my, that, that's pro bono. Yeah. That's good stuff. It's for exposure. Yeah. But we're not talking about a series of body of work over your lifetime. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about repeatedly giving away your work for a lifetime. No, no, I agree. And and what I was getting at is like that's uh, uh, the way I saw Arkham Rising uh, as a big, basically uh, a way to kind of 
get us more notice than we already had at the time. It's a flare. Getting getting at the cover from the makers of Arkham Rising. Well, yeah, and and but more more to the point, um, my biggest regret with Arkham Rising was we didn't form the YouTube page we have now mm-hmm. at that time because had we done that. Yeah. Because because YouTube basically once you hit a certain level yeah. and it was offered to us with Arkham Rising they're like do you want to begin monetizing we can't no we'll get sued yeah. yeah yeah but but if we had a page that was completely associated to that and then we don't monetize on that one video but we keep generating content the spillover right no we you're right I've, off I've done spillover. it myself you, now you log into a I'm, video popular then you start I'm talking the about now what I'm getting at right now is the fact that. We lit the models are changing as to what you're doing. And I guess like you're like, um, I mean, let's use photography for an example. Photog- professional photographers are getting hurt really bad right now because of what's going on. Yes. And, but, but the, it, but basically what this means is the industry needs to evolve and change to make, to keep making it viable. Right. And I mean, I mean, oh, it's survival of the fittest. I'm not, it, it I'm really not arguing is. that. It, that's yeah, yeah, it, that's it, my fucking world. Welcome yeah. to it. Well, exactly yeah. right. And and uh, I w- I would I would also say on this in the same note, film is is exactly that. It's very much survival of the fittest. Not only that, but survival of those that know how to adapt to the changing climate. The reason for that, though, the reason that film has been so cutthroat and has been so best of the best is the sheer fucking cost of making it. Yeah. And that is what is changing right now. And in five, ten years from now, you're going to have people that can make literally full feature movies with VFX and the whole nine Mm -hmm. yards for less than a Toyota Camry. Mm -hmm. Like right now, there's guys on there who do uh, VFX. And uh, when I started, I actually wrote and pitched a pilot for a TV series and two years ago. And in that series, I had to find some VFX work. I can do some mild stuff in After Effects, but... I am not the guy to sit there for four days straight creating VFX. I'm not. The same with audio. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate audio. So, you know, you find the guys that are trained in doing that and those guys, and there's lots of guys who do that on the side as well. And you can go on YouTube right now and see guys. It's like the lightsaber effect I did. Yeah. There's guys on there that do stuff that are that was literally mind blowing when it first came out yeah. too. on ILM kind of quality stuff and they'll bang that out in a day. Mm-hmm. No problem. So there's, there's access to those storytelling tools now that you could do. On a laptop that literally you needed a thirty thousand dollar you know silicon graphic yep. workstation twelve years ago. Yep. So uh, in another ten years, this is going to be a point when right now, and this is where the big fight right now is: is content providers, whether it's Netflix, YouTube, or where this is where everything's really up in the air right now. To where are people going to go to watch their stories and get their stories, and are movie houses still going to be so tightly tied to that? you know, Hollywood network, or are they really going to free up and we're going to see a lot of them die and they're really just going to be viewing houses. Well, uh, AMC recently had that argument with, uh, Disney about yeah. Iron Man three. Yep. They, uh, basically Disney wanted to change. Usually it's a 50, 50 split between mm-hmm. the theaters and the, the studios. Uh, Disney wanted 60, 40 split with the theaters because they said that it's going to, uh, 70, 30. It was a shitty yeah, deal yeah. for, for the, for the, for the theaters. They were saying, well, uh, this movie's going to make a ton of money regardless. So, and we, we're, you know, you've seen how Avengers is, so we want more now as a, from the cut. And the AMC theaters refused to do pre-sales on the pre on basically trying to stand their ground. Yeah. They worked it out. I don't know in whose favor, but I mean, ultimately the theaters may have, like the theaters are kind of put over a barrel because if they don't show that movie, people are going to go to whoever's going to show it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think that was one thing that, that very fucking argument, like you see companies like Netflix and Hulu going, 
please fall through, please fall through, because, hey, I'll pay you a lot of money yeah. if we can release right Avengers here. or Iron Man 3 directly we'll under a fucking uh, on, Arrested on Development, demand, right? I, Arrested Development is a great Prime example. example. Prime example. Yeah. I think that was, uh, have you seen it, the, the new season? No, not yet. Uh, it's, I, I thought it was really well done. I, I, I just finished House of Cards on Netflix, okay. so that's kind of like where... Yeah. I'm in it now, it's yeah. good, man. What I, what really I would good. really like uh, for Netflix to... Uh, not just produce stuff with really big names, but also maybe uh, work in acquisitions of acquiring independent stuff. That's exactly. uh, like like Epic Meal Time. Why like why can't Epic? Well, it's on YouTube. That's why, right? But they, you know they, what I'm they saying. They have a really tough contract with YouTube. Oh, of course. All those big stars on YouTube have contracts. I would I would make the argument that maybe YouTube is 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 basically bigger than Netflix. In that I think respect. so. It's, it, it, yes, because people spend more time on YouTube. Accessible on all these places, right? Yeah, and I mean that's kind of like what. Uh, like what I'm hoping with the with the film association and with what we're doing with the podcast and all the video stuff and maybe maybe in the well we're we're talking about doing um our another fan based film uh, on ourselves as well as helping other people with their uh, projects and stuff and the idea is to maybe like get former Murray on the map in that and maybe maybe yeah. like instead of asking for government grants maybe that'll be a source of income right well, so like, well, and I know the there's like five of us that, that formed uh, well that the interim board or family members whatever you want to call it uh, for uh, the film association is uh, we all have a different vision that I think is going to apply to uh, the actual association I think is what's going to make it thrive because my biggest driving force behind it is that feeling you get when you see something that you put so much creative thought into and so much work into, get get, get seen, done. get seen by people, get finished, and you're able to watch it, mm-hmm. right? And, and to me, I think a lot of the people, all they will take is to see that once for their own work, and they're going to be hooked, like I am, right? And, and that's there's so much business ties to it. There's so much background work to it. There's so much other factors going on. But I think it, it comes down to, from my world, it comes down to the sheer love of it. Maybe I'm, I'm in that comfort zone. I do have that full time job where mm-hmm. if everything goes to absolute that's, shit, I, I think I think that's the big thing, uh, Todd. Because like I think the big argument it all comes down to there's we live in an age now where we used to live in an age where people worked less than eight hours a day, yeah, and it was more than enough for them to live off of that. Yep. And you know now we live in an age where people like not not even 80, just in not two hours a week, not just here, not yeah. just here, no. but in the states, they're working long hours. Yeah. And on top of that, they've got over one job and stuff. So, I mean, like the the, the I, I think like uh, that's that's where we're getting to the difference about um, uh, basically if you're a professional, it, it has to be your full time job, or if you're a hobbyist, or if you're in that comfort zone, right? Like you were saying, like you you care about that, and I care about it too. I, like I love the feeling of not just screening the movie, but like what I what was in my head is actually on the screen. I can watch it. Yeah, and, and, like that's great and everything, but I I can, I can totally see sh- what you're saying, Sean, in the fact that like we devalue ourselves by doing that at the same time because we need let me finish. Right. <laughs> I know. But we need to um <clears throat> you threw me off. Sorry. <laughs> no, uh basically uh we devalue ourselves because of the fact that uh ultimately we're if we're giving something away What's the value in it in, at the end of the day? If you're completely giving it away, because you've got to you've got to think of the end game. Like I'll, I'll tell you right now, with Arkham Rising, like I remember that was my big push against it. I said like we don't stand to make a cent off of this, and then I, I was basically everyone's arguing back was like, well, we're not making a cent off stuff right now. So I'm like, fair enough. <laughs> so, but then I thought it out, and I'm like, well, it, it'll work in exposure, why exposure, right? And that, so, and that's perfectly great. But so my bounce back to you both on that one is that you've done. 
this, you just wrapped up cover. You put that out there, and I'm just going to keep saying sinker because I've already mentioned them. I don't want people to think <laughs> I've already destroyed yeah, any kind of work relationship with them. I'll never do a <laughs> But and now, say Syncrude called you guys and said, "Hey, we saw a cover. We saw Arkham Rising. We love what you guys want to do. We would love you to come out here and do a great project for us. We don't have any money. Like we don't have a budget. We'd love for you guys to come out and do a project with us. Would you want to do that? No, I'd rather work on my own shit for free. Okay, this there's the line that you don't see that I'm talking about." From the beginning of this conversation, I'm, I don't have any problem with you guys making your own shit, putting it out there, doing what you love. It's when you take your work, your talent, and you let other people use your talent for free. Like Alberta fucking. Right. Yeah, okay. That's when, that's what I'm talking about devaluing your art because now it's like, Oh, this fucker will work for free. We'll just use him and he can do shit for yeah. us. I, that's that, where, okay, if that's yeah. what you're talking about, then that will solely yeah, agree with that's, you. that's where my line comes from. Like, you from. sit there and say, like, what's your guys' transition to get into uh, doing this as a full-time career? And in my head, I'm just like, well, fuck, like, we got so much ideas, as you've seen in our secret yeah. whiteboard, that i got to kill you for now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even like... I'm no, you got to help me with my project no, now. i got to well, add mine to the list. The, uh, Isn't it on there? I thought we put is it, it on there. It, his name's on there on the podcast, because that was going to be our... Yeah. Uh, yeah. We weren't supposed to tell him, because that was going to be our leap into his world. <laughs> The, uh, but no, but I'm just saying, like, all our ideas in my head with these projects that we got coming up, I'm just like, do we not do them now and try to go sell these scripts in Hollywood? No. I'm like, no, because these projects won't get made then. Well, I'll make the argument that I think cover cover has legs. And then I, I, and I'm glad we clarified that because I will agree with you this. Like, I got no problem, like, Syncrude saying, oh, I'll come make our instructional video for free. No, fuck you. I want to make cover. Mm-hmm. Something that we designed, something that we created, yeah. that came together for free. Now, the, he, here's when we actually start seeing the real value of how people see you. Because if they really want you to work for them, then well, they'll come back and they'll say, "Well, what if we offer you this now?" Yeah. Right? No, no. Uh, yes. Uh, now that we clarified that, you're completely 100 percent right. I will agree. But at the that. same time, we shouldn't be. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but I mean, but yeah. No, like to me, like, and I totally know where you guys are coming from and I, I'm hoping that you see my angle towards a lot of these arguments as well like you guys open my eyes with it I completely agree with your your opinion your standpoint that you don't want to see somebody not make art because they can't make money from it I 100% agree with that and that's the, I, w- I would never tell anybody not to make art I would just tell people to be cautious about who who they let a profit from their art because a, yes. a company getting their artwork for free is profiting from their artwork yeah, because they're using it to beautify their space. No, no, uh, the single example was a prime whatever. example, yeah. and you're you're solely right. Like, I would much rather if someone came up to us and was like, "Give us this training video for free." Fuck you! I'm gonna go yeah. do our fan film because I want to see yeah. that come to life. Well, uh, uh, what I would what I would make the argument of there is if you don't see the va- the financial value in your own art and you just want to make it for free, don't expect people to pay you for 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 anything after that. Okay, hold on. What so I'm getting at, basically, if you do something for free, say, for example, our, let's use Arkham Rising for an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that one we uh, out of our own fit, yeah, yeah. for free, right? Yeah, yeah. If we say, oh, well, we want to make this other film, don't expect people to start tossing money your way just because just well, no, because exactly, you want yeah. yeah. I don't know what you mean. A, pri- a good example is is Epic Mealtime, is Jenna Marbles, is all these people. They got into blogging and doing fun videos, and they ended up turning – into making it a business and making money from it. Merch. Because those stories were successful and people wanted to see it. And the the business model that is YouTube and Google and Google AdWords lends itself to pounding money back in their pocket. Do you really think that, I mean, Epic Mealtime went from, uh, you know, a group of boys here in, in Canada 
down to they live in fucking L.A. now in a monster fucking house with this huge kitchen and these, a bigger production it's budget. fucking hilarious. More money. Oh, they're hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I love them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bad-mouthing them or anything, but yeah. I'm like, that would, would their show had gone to those heights if they were just, if there wasn't a monetization system in YouTube and they were just, I, I guarantee you those boys would have given up on that and moved on to their other aspirations by now. So how do you like, make that leap? That's the thing. Like, to me, there's always a stroke of luck involved with this. See, to me, the separator is performance. It's quality and yes. quantity. So when you guys create a good story, when you create a good thing, you get noticed. And then it's like you said, it's people come to you for your work after go, wow, I saw this thing you did. It's really great. We want to hire you. How much are you worth? And it's that point when the enthusiasts have trouble making the transition because they do what to do. There was a really good article about that. Um, it was basically saying it's okay for artists to say no. And basically it is that a lot of artists, because of their ego, because they, they want to have their stuff shown, they won't say no to doing shit for free. Yeah. And But the thing is, it's okay to say no. And the thing is, that's when people start valuing your time. Because if you say, and, and this is, this is yes not, to everything. You're it's, just not a, it's not a, a, a technique because the truth is, if you're really that gung ho about getting everything done, that means you're always busy. Yeah. It, it, like, I mean, and when, and I will put this on record. When I tell someone I'm busy, it's not because I'm trying to blow them off. It's because I'm actually busy. If you, if you see the work I've been doing, I'm always doing something. Now, Here's where the monetization happens. If someone really like thinks your work is that good and they like, I mean, that's how I got started. Basically, someone basically said, well, obviously you're busy, but I see value in your time. So I'm willing to offer you something for that time. How busy are you with Thomas Jefferson? Well, but that's exactly it, right? And then, the and then the artist has to make a choice. Yeah. Do you want that money? Do you, will it, 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 and, and that's. No, no, I, I, I have clients move their dates to accommodate me. Yeah, not all the time. You're gonna some of them say, "Well, we really need it here," and they move on. But I've had clients move their stuff because they really want me. Yeah. And and I, I'll give you a prime example. To this day, pains me. I'm from Ottawa. Big Ottawa Senators fan. Yes, we've had battles. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, I was doing. I booked a family reunion photo shoot. They had like 40 people. They had a grandmother coming over from England that hadn't been to Canada before. Please you know, don't. Family please don't end this story with it. And now she's dead. No, no. <laughs> And uh, he lost and that game. I, I, book, I booked it like two months in advance, and uh, and this was before I really worked with other photographers. Before I hired other photographers to work with me as more of a business rather than a one man show, just me. And uh, and three days before the shoot, um, one of the media people at the Ottawa Senators called me and said, "We're having a charity golf tournament with all the senators, and uh, we love the work that you've shot because I had shot some of the golf tournaments and hockey and stuff." And it was like almost an in, in, in with the senators. Would you like to keep, are you available to come up and shoot our golf tournament? We want to do, you know, glad handing photos and the players. PR are, work, yeah. The players will all be paired up with a bunch of kids as well as some sponsors. And I was yeah. just like, fuck my life. Like this is like perfect opportunity. And I had to tell them no. And it was a really hard no because the amount of money, A, the amount of money they were offering me was tenfold to what I was getting the paid from the family. Yeah. And I didn't know these people. I didn't have any allegiance to them or anything, but I was like, I made a commitment and I couldn't say no. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. I would, I would love to share this. If you ever have another event, call me, but I also know I'm never going to hear from them again. And I had to turn that down yeah. to, to take the family. But I mean, that's, that's part of being a professional too. Integrity. But six years later, I got another phone mm -hmm. call from that family because they heard the story, not through me, through somebody else in town and they're, uh, 
their wife or their I don't remember who it was, but it was a, a, a relative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who was working in Toronto, and they called me, and it's the first time I shot Toronto Film Festival. Awesome. Which was another great opportunity. Wow. I mean, I didn't get paid for that gig. And that was a pro. What the fuck? I know. <laughs> but this was a, this was one of those times where I was like, I really want to shoot the Toronto Film Festival. And, uh, and I hadn't done it before. I hadn't done paparazzi kind of stuff. I hadn't done red carpet before. And, uh, and I was like, yeah. So I had an in with the person who was doing the media contacts there. Uh, there used to be the show on, I think it was TLC called One Shot where they followed around these, uh, paparazzi Robert photographers did. around. And I watched the show and they were, and they were doing an episode where they were at the Toronto Film Festival. And there's this pit and it's all action and stuff. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going down there because I know the girl that works there. And I went down there and I, the media girl came over right away. And I said, you so and so. Yeah. And I told her who I was. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You can go stand over there in the pit. No pass, no anything. Let me in. And I got to shoot the Toronto nice. Film Festival. And one shot showed up filming another guy standing next to me. Wow. And we almost got in a fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> because photographers can be assholes when they're standing on the line. Trying to get the photo, and these guys were in a bar drinking before the premiere. Yeah. Ooh, anyway, so. I'm not, I'm going off on a tangent now. I have some fun oh, that stories about good. that. Oh, that sounds good. We think we have to put you back. Had a good one. story there, but anyway, but yeah, but yeah, you have to have that integrity. And, and to me, this is what comes back between professionals and enthusiasts. Like I know people that would have like bailed immediately in a situation like that to follow, the you know, a, a bigger opportunity that they saw. But you just yeah. you can't. That sticks with you forever, and you just you can't be that kind of person if you value what your what your name stands for professionalism and people seek you out after that like you you do establish you don't think you've made connections there but you do because your name actually means something and that's something that i'm as proud of as my photos is that i've never i've never screwed over a client or shafted anybody on anything like i stick to my word no matter what and even if it's a kid's birthday party which i don't shoot anymore (laughs) don't call me (laughs) (laughs) final thoughts tito uh cover a lot uh, essentially, my thoughts on this are: if if this if basically if there's something that you really love doing, um, the the money shouldn't be the reason why you're doing it. However, there should uh, and I learned this too because when I started, I was the same way. I, like a, t- a friend of mine, basically, uh, I, I love. I always say, I say this often on on the podcast, but um, basically, when I made my my first short. Um, you know, basically I said, well, it's kind of shitty because I'm not a filmmaker like you are. And he's like, well, I mean, I'm not that much more experienced than you are either. He's like, but here's the thing. Uh, he said, Tito, you are a filmmaker. You're just not where you want to be right now. How good you become is completely up to you. Yeah. And, and, and but that's the, it's the whole attitude thing is don't, don't boast. Like, and a lot of people misconstrue that as boasting and self promoting. No, it just know that. Know your value because no one is waiting to for you to walk in the door and like, oh my god, it's him. <laughs> Let's give him all the work and shit, right? No, you have to. You're in Hollywood, holy shit! But the moment people's first impressions of you are going to be completely based on how you carry yourself and the first things that come out of your mouth. And if your first thing is like, oh well, I'll just do this for fun, or you know, like trying to undersell yourself or what you're making, no one's ever going to see the value in it. And no one's ever going to offer you. So, I mean, yeah, that's awesome that people can make a living off of it. But I know people that have gotten TV deals and they're still not making a living off of it. Right. Like the thing is, you have to you have to really weigh the pros and cons of uh, if you're doing something for passion or if you're doing it for money. Because how passionate are you? I mean, think about it. There's people that uh, could be right now like, I mean, yeah, they're working in the industry. 
shooting commercials. And there was this guy that wrote this amazing article before he died. He died of cancer. Can't remember his name, but it was, it made like national news. This, uh, uh, he was, uh, he, he's made uh, a couple of films and his last article was, uh, cause he did a lot of commercials, like car commercials, commercials and shit. And his last words were, it's not fucking worth it. He basically, <laughs> no, he, he, he said, he's like, Oh, I know this. I read yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, this. he basically talked about how, if you're not doing what you love, like basically, get the fuck out. Like, yeah, yeah. And, he, and he basically said that, oh, like, I know this guy. I spent I hours. He spent hours editing a fucking car commercial, and he's like, I wish I had those hours back because, yeah, I was getting paid, but who the fuck cares about this commercial? I think I I, I posted his uh, his yeah I posted last it too when I read it and it was verbatim uh, on my yeah uh, and, Facebook. And, and so I mean. Don't think of it as getting, uh, I want to do it for the money or, or, or getting paid means I'm professional. Think of it more as, think of it more, at least the way I think of it is, are you doing what you love? Are you, if you're doing what you love and you're getting paid for it, that's awesome. But if you're doing quote unquote what you love and, uh, if you're doing something that you don't love, but getting paid a lot of money for it, maybe it's not worth it. Like think about it. Like really think about it. And because the thing is, ultimately, like I said, the, the, the thing that's the most valuable thing you have is your time. And if you're wasting your time doing something you don't love, even though you're getting a lot of money for it, maybe it's not worth your time. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. So, hey, sorry. Final thoughts, Sean? Um, I'm just going to wrap up by saying um, I agree exactly with what your your original direction was that you don't want anyone to not make art because they can't make money from it i it's not uh that's not what i'm um talking about when i talk about valuing or devaluing uh the artwork i just want people to be conscious of um art as an industry and art as a, a cultural component of our community and it can't sustain itself if it's just relegated to being uh, part of a, a social plan that comes out of our taxes that is, is dependent on grants and, and well wishers and, you know, selling one print every eight years. It's, it's not going to continue to be a vital part of our community. It gets cut right now. Um, two schools in Alberta have already cut their arts program. One right here in Fort Mac. Another one, I can't remember the name of the college off the top of my head. I believe it's fucking Lethbridge. It is Lethbridge. Yeah. yeah. So Lethbridge just cut theirs. And wow. this comes back to what I was saying earlier with the services, though. It comes back to numbers and you either have performance or you don't have performance. And that the, in the areas that don't have performance will get cut. And I think if you, if you went on the street and you asked somebody what they wanted the government to cut money from, um, $500 million budget over here for supporting arts and high schools or $500 million over here for supporting job creation or whatever, anything else, they would all pick to cut the arts. They all would. So us as artists have to be the ones fighting to keep the value of art alive in the community. That's what I want to leave people with. It's beautiful, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hug it out. No, and like I, I think this discussion opened up my eyes quite a bit and changed my gear of thinking. I will always stand by, I'd rather someone make art than just not do anything. I, I, I'll always stick by that. But it's come to the point now, like especially when it comes to a team of like what we've been doing, collaborating, and what we're going to do is we've mentioned the whiteboard several times in this podcast, is I can very well now see the value in the art where if someone comes up to you and says, I want, sh to, I want you guys to do a video uh, for us, but I uh, don't have any money for you. You know what? You're a nice guy. Would love to do it. 
but I got a full whiteboard of shit that I want to get done. Well, yeah. can you wait? Is the question really? Well, first, the first question: the way that whiteboard changes, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be. Way if too if long. you really want to work with this person, basically, and you value your time, you basically have to pr- put it back to him. Can you wait? And if he says no, well, then we'll put you on the list. His, his time is more valuable than yours in his eyes. But this is where I think our hats are going to change somewhat in regards to this film association because hey, I may not be able to be completely balls deep in your project. But I'll definitely show you how you can get it done, or I'll show you what worked for me. Or I can introduce you to other people that are or interested in helping. Or we got some and you guys can work together on We're it. I encourage yeah. you to get that film done. Yeah, because that's our slogan. Yeah. Teach a man to fish. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think, like I said, I, I think this was fucking. This is an epic podcast. I think this is really. Well, there's uh, half an hour of it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Sean, thank you very much for coming, man. Thank you very much for having me. And I think uh, we're definitely going to have to get some stories out of you because uh, <laughs> the the paparazzi moment at Toronto Film Festival would be a pretty epic story, I think. It was. It was good. <laughs> Something to look forward to. So, for this epic episode of the YMM Podcast, I'm Toski. I'm Tito. I'm Sean. We'll see you next set. YMM Podcast is a T-Man Entertainment production. In association with Hyperphotonic Media. Find us at hyperphotonicmedia.com. Oh, fuck. <laughs>